welcome to Pitch Intense, the Final Entertainment Movie Pitching Podcast. And today, our task is to pitch a movie for Phase 4, or Phase 5, depending on dates, because we don't know exactly what's going on with Phase 4, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm always Mike. And I'm always Darren. We apologise, as this is round two of this, but we did it... (laughs) Not too shy of them actually announcing all the movies. We did. Um, but so, that was more so pitching the entire phase where this is. Yes. And we didn't go into much depth with any of the films? No. Um, it was also us guessing at what was going to happen it was. in Endgame. Um, so, yeah. Listening all... back to that episode, it was fun to listen what we got right, just in the wrong order. <laughs> yeah, 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 basically. Now that we've been given an idea of um, what's actually coming, um, we can set about actually pitching a phase four movie proper. However, <laughs> the two movies we've happened to have picked, mine has been confirmed, which yep. is a late edition. Thank God. Yes, yours hasn't, although it's it's coming. It's everyone knows it's happening. It's just, it just doesn't have a date. We know it's shooting next year, but it doesn't have a date. Yep. Yeah, so um, we're not pitching any. Of the, we're not pitching the Black Widow movie, nope. uh, Doctor Strange, Eternals, uh, Eternals, Shang Chi, etc. We mm. are doing um, two. Movies that, you know, initially didn't appear to be part of Phase 4. No, it didn't look like it actually not be. I think mine is. Yours is probably a lock. Mine might be Phase 5. That's why yes. I did a, pre- a preamble at the beginning about it might not actually being there, but we'll, I guess we'll find out. Oh, um, something I noticed from the last episode, by the way. I sent you this. Um, one of my pitches for the Big Hero 6 animated TV show yep. exists. Yeah. Um <laughs> something I didn't expect so I'm willing to call that episode a draw because I pitched something that already exists yeah I mean well it kind of gone down that well because otherwise you would have heard of it hmm. um, so I don't I, I, I don't think half the world would have realised that you were pitching something that already exists probably not no but ah well um, so without any further ado because Mike has been working on his for a fair amount of time five months the, the, this, the initial seeds of the idea Planted themselves five months ago. Yeah. Um, now, oh boy. <laughs> mine is a different story. Yeah. Which is why we kind of landed on the concept for this episode. Yep. Not only is it picture phase four movie, it's um, time and energy and, and long term booking versus one night planning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can my very hastily put together pitch even rival the well thought out five months? I hope for your sake, no. And I truly believe no, because this is a highly derivative one I'm about to pitch. Right. But, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what we're working with. Um, so I will do mine first. And as I said, um, we did a bit of brainstorming after our last podcasting session, because mm. I initially was going to redo my MI13 pitch and give the full version of that. And but, then Phase 4 happened. Yeah, but then they cast Kit Harrington as, as Black Knight, uh, and that threw out a major part of the movie. And uh, Blade's in that, and now it's Mahershala Ali, and, and yeah, yep. so it would have required basically page one rewrite. And I tried, I just didn't have it in me, so I instead waited a little longer, kept stalling with Michael saying, oh yeah, I'll probably get around to MI13. Then they finally announced that Spider-Man is back, and we're getting the third <laughs> one, and I was like, screw it, I'll just do the third Spider-Man movie. <laughs> yes. So, some brain, some went into this, but yeah, I, I wrote the vast majority of these bullet points. Um, right. in, in the space of about 24 hours. Amazing. So this is um, a very badly drawn horse of an idea. 
<laughs> but here we go. So, um, continuing on with having to have the word home appear somewhere in the title. Yes. Uh, this is my pitch for Spider-Man, Home No More. Oh, okay. Which feels a bit like a Metallica song, but there <laughs> we go. Um, right, again, I will apologise for this being highly, highly derivative. <laughs> Um, of not only your pitch for a Spider-Man sequel, oh, yeah. but my pitch for a Spider-Man <laughs> sequel and the Spider-Man PS4 game. Okay. Yeah. So here we. I'm not. This is. I must admit. This is like. It's 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 fine. It it does. <laughs> but it 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 could do with some more time in the oven. Here we go. Amazing. Um, right. With anti-Peter um, hatred at like a high. Peter uh, has disappeared. No one knows where he is. Mm. Um, he has isolated himself from all his loved ones for years at this point. Uh, he hasn't stopped being Spider-Man, though. Um, whenever he's doing like whatever Spider-Man does, he's pelted with guard, beard, and kind of ran off from crime scenes uh, by people who think he's a murderer. Um, we open on Aunt May and Happy Hogan. They live together. They are welcoming Ned and MJ Raymond to mark the two-year anniversary of the day Mysterio leaked Peter's identity. Uh, they just have a little dinner and they talk about where Peter might be, uh, mentioning that the new mayor of New York is pushing hard uh, to pursue him and kind of take him into custody. Uh, Nen and MJ leave in a taxi, but as they are being waved off by Happy Hogan and uh, Aunt May at the door, uh, someone approaches May and Happy. Um, the person is really angry um, about Spider-Man still being at large and they know that Aunt May is you know, his aunt, yep. that, that Peter's his uh, nephew. Happy tries to defuse the situation, but things escalate, and uh, Happy Hogan gets stabbed. And Happy oh. Hogan dies in Aunt May's arms. Jesus Christ! Now, um, I, you'll see why I had to do this in a moment. It's, it's, it's emotion, it gets off to the right beat, but it also fills in a plot hole that you might have with this movie. Mm. Um, we see Happy's funeral. Um, obviously, uh, the start foundation is going to be paying for it. Uh, it's a big, lavish thing. Um, security is high because of all the kind of unrest and the circumstances but we see everyone kind of gathered at the graveside and Aunt May is like beside herself but we see MJ just kind of looking off into the distance and looks very distracted uh, after everyone leaves um, she just walks over to a tree in the graveyard and she's kind of leaning with her back against it and she just says you're going to make me do this aren't you so she starts climbing up the tree gets onto a branch and then just throws herself off and then as she kind of plummets out to scream we just see a spider web grab her and pull her back up <laughs> Uh, the web catcher, and she's kind of winched up to the top. She's got her arms folded upside down, just being like, <laughs> winched up to the top of the tree. Uh, where Peter is, he's in tears, like bloods of tears, and he just says, you shouldn't have come here. Um, Peter has a shaved head and a puberty beard on the go, <laughs> uh, which day points out is a really bad disguise. Um, but Peter's been hiding out on the streets and kind of basically living as a homeless person um, for the last few years. Uh, unsure who to approach for help he's like well Mr Stark is gone I don't really know anybody else because he didn't really he was never really in the Avengers mm. he spent some time in space with Doctor Strange but that that's about it Tony Stark was his in um, and um, he doesn't really know anybody else and now they almost hate me because of what happened to Happy so the reason Homeless Spider-Man didn't go to the Avengers for help initially was because of Tony Stark but now Happy's gone He's not going to call them because he feels like they all must hate him. Yeah. And says, well, May probably hates me too for what happens. MJ tries to convince him that everyone misses him, but he doesn't listen and swings away. Um, we now see how he's kind of been surviving. He's been using his suit that Stark left him and the Edith glasses um, to help him grab food and leave money without being seen. Um, and showing how crappy he is at kind of fending himself. He can't really cook. He can't really shave. So mm. it's not like a... 
really a disguise he's gone for. Not anymore. a choice. It's yeah, a, exactly. He's not doing well. It's about. a consequence. Uh, he's looking a little more out of shape. He's not as like lean as he used to be. Uh, and he's sleeping on the on the roofs of different skyscrapers to kind of stay out of the way. You know, he's up high. No one's going to be able to find him up there. Uh, the mayor appears on the Daily Bugle with J. Jonah Jameson, um, who is her biggest supporter, Norma Osborne. Ooh. Uh, the mother of Flash Thompson, who kept his dad's last name, yep. uh, and recently married wife of Harry Osborne. So okay. we're getting rid of Norman. Right. We've done Norman to death. Um, we're going to age up Harry a little bit and have Harry be married to this Norma, who's named Norma Osborne. So it's Harry's, it's Harry's wife. Is yes. Right? Okay. Yeah, so Harry is, well, Harry in, uh, was the founder of Oscorp in this reality. Right. Um, and Flash is kind of the surrogate for Harry in okay. this situation. Right, so so Harry is Harry is Norman and yes. Flash is Harry. Yes. Basically. Yes. And then there's Norma. There's Norma Osborne. Cool. Um, and yeah, re- they've relatively recently been married. Do we have um, a casting for that? No, I didn't do casting. Okay, fair enough. That's fine. <laughs> Completely forgot to do casting. <laughs> Uh, I thought it was put together for you. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah. Anyway, so um, she's been elected mayor. She was elected on a wave of like anti-spy sentiment, mm. um, focusing her campaign on promising to bring him to justice. Uh, it was a bit of a shock that she won. She was going up, you know, first never been a politician before, was going up against much more experienced people, but won because of laying into that right. anti-sentiment, anti-Spiderman sentiment. Okay. Hmm. Mm. Is this symbolic? <laughs> um, <laughs> And um, so far she's been unsuccessful, but she has now recruited a crack squad um, that she's going to use to bring him in, mm. headed up by a man called Craven from the <laughs> Hunter Corporation. <laughs> so we're going to keep the casting we originally did for mine, which is we're going to have Gerald um, Butler, Gerald Butler nice. play Craven. Uh, he, alongside his brother Dimitri, who we're gonna, who's going to reprise his role from um, Far From Home, um, who's the chameleon in the comic books. Yep. Uh, he's defected from S.H.I.E.L.D. and has now joined his brother's corporation. So it's the same dude as who's in Farrakhan. Yes. I don't know what his name is, but no idea. that guy. Uh, they're going to head up a team of reformed criminals, which includes both Shocker and Scorpion. Mm. We're not using Vulture. It was too story, like kind of complex to kind of work him in and yeah. do turns and stuff. So I've excluded him. It's just Shocker and Scorpion who have been brought back. Uh, she claims that they've been rehabilitated by the excellent prison system and although they were once, you know, the enemy, we're now seeing them as the real friend. And who knows, maybe Spider-Man was kind of, you know, he double-crossed them and he stitched them up just like he did with Mysterio. And just double-check, that's Bokin Woodbine as yes. Shocker and while Commando for Scorpion. Correct. Sweet. Um, and they will never use for force to good to bring down a murderer. Craven cuts a harrowing speech about how he always gets his target. Um, now, because I've had to bullet point this for speed and we didn't really have time to flesh it out, um, you don't really get, we don't really mention Chameleon a lot. Uh, Craven, compared to how he was in my original Spider-Man pitch, he will be that character, but I just haven't mentioned it a lot here. Okay, So cool. to fill in the blanks, if you want to do some more listening, go and listen to our original um The Spider-Man first episode pitch. of this podcast. Yes, it was. Ah! It was. Go listen to that. Um, unfortunately, no, we won't have Man Spider in this. No. Couldn't work it out, so oh. we've excluded Man Spider. I'm very disappointed in myself. Right, this is where we get to the actual bullet points. Okay. Um, so, um, Shocker um, is giving his gauntlet backs and Scorpion is outfitted uh, with the tail. Um, it's only that he doesn't get the full power suit, but he's just given the kind of prehensile tail. Okay. Um, which kind of walks like one of Doc Ock's tentacles from uh, Spider-Man 2. Mm. Um, both are Oscorp inventions. Oscorp are a military contractor for the most part, um, but they have their fingers in many parts, um, much like Stark, uh, Stark Enterprises does. 
Um, hunter troops set up checkpoints throughout the city, imposing law above the police. So Norma kind of gives them extra level of, uh, um, of authority because they want to bring Spider-Man in ASAP. Yeah. Much like the Spider-Man games with a tiger. Was it Tiger? No, that's Batman Arkham City. Sable, wasn't it? Uh, with the Sable uh, Corporation, yeah, yeah. they set up uh, checkpoints. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Um, so we could even replace Chameleon with Silver Sable and do it that way around, but there we are. Well, you've, you've said Chameleon. We'll stick with Chameleon. We'll stick with Chameleon. Because um, he's already been cast, yes. so... Yeah. Um, so Peter um, is kind of he's, he's aware of this, but now he's going to have to keep an even lower profile than before because if he pops out of anywhere, then the hunter guards are going to swarm him. Um, but Peter is contacted. Um, he wakes up one morning. There's just a note pinned to the front of him, um, <laughs> and he's like, "Not everything is as it seems with Norma. Um, the person has left documents that show um, what her and her husband are up to and their kind of dodgy past." Uh, the note says that he will reveal who he is once he knows that Spider-Man isn't who everyone sees. Um, um, sees that's an interesting use of words uh, Ned and MJ start a campaign to um, clear Peter's name um, they start a um, social media account called New York is Peter Parker or hashtag NY is PP for short <laughs> <laughs> um, and it starts on social media and you know, everyone starts laughing at the yeah, PP New joke. York is PP huh? <laughs> um, and they highlight all the good that Spider-Man has done and continues to do for New York City so they're just trying to grassroots clear his name yeah. basically um, Spidey investigates um, Oscorp uh, mansion uh, and he finds evidence in there of what they've been doing um, unfortunately um, so whilst he's kind of investigating the mansion unfortunately he sets off a silent alarm that allows uh, Craven and his team to arrive uh, we see a tight knit very claustrophobic fight through the mansion um, where all of it is being all the damage is being done by Shocker and Scorpion okay. um, he escapes but obviously he's very shook up by the encounter yeah and that's F kind of early um, uh, fight scene where yeah. we can sit up here. So the, the, the small scale hero on the back foot fight yes, scene. Exactly. Cool. I like it. Um, he's just absolutely knackered after this fight. You know, he's not really been in a supervillain fight for all these years and, and having three of them essentially after him has just knackered him out. So um, he, um, he goes onto a nearby rooftop but he's approached by somebody. Um, they initially have a fight as Peter presumes he's under attack again but the other guy is just all defence think Obi-Wan episode 3 levels of just all <laughs> all back foot all the time but no one's touching him um, they um, <laughs> yeah the one offensive move is the guy just judo throwing Spider-Man to the, the like just fucking him to the floor okay um, and the fight ends and it's revealed to be Daredevil oh, we're bringing yes. back your boy Matt Murdock um <laughs> And Daredevil reveals that he's the one who obviously left the note, and he's been investigating. Um, he's been investigating Norma because I've dealt with corrupt politicians before. This was. I'll give you credit. This was your idea to bring in Daredevil. <laughs> I was, was trying to crowbar the Fantastic Four in, and particularly Johnny Storm. And you just went, "Well, just do Daredevil." It's like, <laughs> oh, it's two years removed from season three. Technically, we can use him again. So yes, we can. Yeah, do oh it. Oh my god, yes, we can. Yes, cool. Well, it's going to be more than two years removed from season three by the time yeah. this film will come out, surely. Three years, maybe. I mean, I mean, Fuck, just bring Charlie Cox back wholesale. That's all we need. Yeah. Nothing else needs to come. I know Luke Cage was, was fine and was a good casting, but if we, ju- if we just get... Just Daredevil. Yeah, if we just get Matt Murdock back, if we just get Charlie... Charlie Cox. Charlie Cox back as Daredevil, you can forget everything else that happened. We'll yeah. be okay. Still haven't seen season three of Jessica Jones. No, me neither. Probably either. won't. Um... <laughs> The pair are now on the case together, and uh, DD believes that the uh, the motherload of info will be in Oscorp. Uh, Daredevil infiltrates, 
Um, and which suit are you keeping from Daredevil? Uh, we're going to go with proper Daredevil, red horns, and, and the business. Um, I like Man Vert Fear Daredevil. We all love Man Vert Fear Daredevil, but this is the MCU, and everyone gets yeah. their costumes. So now we're going with season two, red eyes. Yeah, yeah, not the angular horns, the proper horns. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. Um, so Daredevil's doing the infiltration. And he kind of gets into the, the, um, the computer server room. He uses a Rancorp encryption drive. We don't need to bring back Iron Fist, but this is just a nice loophole. And um, he uses that. He's kind of hacking into Oscorp. Uh, while Spidey is acting as recon on the outside of the building and trying to track down exactly where um, they presume Craven's going to be in the building. They want to know where he is so that they know he's far away from Dead Um so we then kind of go inside the building and we see Norman, Norma, Craven uh, and the rest are all talking inside uh, to a man who we can't really see but they're talking to him. Um, he details of everyone, everything is going to the plan despite these rising tensions, you know, because the Hunter Guards, they're kind of impeaching civil, um, impeding on civil liberties. liberties, um, And people are trying to get a bit mad but they're like, look, it doesn't matter. They fear us now but for the, the price you're paying for Hunter will only benefit us in the long term, Norma. You don't think personal security profits will rise in a city that thinks mass vigilantes can swing into their window at night and kill them. Oscorp's profits will double in a year. You know, you're into personal security tech. My God, everyone's going to want that because now it's not just robbers who can break in. It's people who can fly, people who can like you know shoot webbing all over. So it'll it'll double, and that'll spread across the country of people turning on vigilantes and believing oh the superpowered people are here. Not saying you could use this kind of hysteria as a back doorway to hate the mutants, but it's there. Mm. Um, and when Spider Man is caught, you'll be held as the hero, and even more doors will open to you, opportunities open to you because you brought down the murder of Mysterio. Um, then we can look at how best to pull off my miraculous return. Okay. The guy is kind of stood next to the window at Oscorp, and it's like that, you know, that frosted glass that you can hit a button and it comes yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he stood next to that, and. Uh, um, Spider-Man happens to be crawling up that window at the time <laughs> as he presses the button the frosted glass um, disappears and we all realise Mysterio is not dead oh. um, he faked his death and he's the one who's been pulling the strings um, he used his tech connections to influence voters via um, social media and kind of big data analysis to sweep Norma into power in exchange for her husband's Oscorp company bankrolling his Mysterio shenanigans. Because they never really explained where they got all the money for all the stuff. They no, were they doing. were just disgruntled and left stark and that was it. Yeah, but when you leave a company, you don't get to take all your tech, like no. the physical assets with you no. and that belongs to Stark. So this kind of explains how he was able to afford all this. He had Oscorp banking him. And, you know, it's, it's, it's timely. He's using tech to influence uh, voters. Is this symbolic? Oh. Uh, um, so they couldn't do it by, themse- uh, by themselves because, you know, they have shady Disney- business students in their past. Uh, they needed someone's help. To they needed someone's name on the receipt that wasn't uh, Quinton Beck. Basically. Exactly, yeah. And they wouldn't have been able to do it with him. him. And as I say there, is this symbolic of today's political <laughs> climate? Um, yes. Uh, Just yes. yes. <laughs> now he's laying low, uh, Mysterio that is, he's laying low and advising them on how to use their new power position to strengthen their business ahead of the return of Mysterio. Because they need to, if Mysterio returns, everyone said, well, Spider-Man didn't really kill him. Once they've caught him, they can control the narrative. He's behind bars, he can't say anything to disprove and they can just come up with some, oh, I've come from, I'm another one from another dimension, mm. um, I've heard what happened to my previous one, which is why I wait till now for Spider-Man to be incarcerated before I made my big return. Spidey obviously flips out and gets very <laughs> angry and tries to attack Mysterio. 
um, too angry at the man to ruin his life. To hear Daredevil in the earpiece saying, you're like, calm down, if you start gaining there and attacking, they're going to put the building on lockdown mm. and we'll be screwed. We won't be able to get out. But he's just too angry. He's gaining, like, Quinton run for it. But, like, obviously, Scorpion's in the room, Shopper's in the room, Kramer's in the room. They're trying to prevent um, from what's happening. Yeah. Um, Peter's prevented from hitting Mysterio and ends up in a fight with Craven. We have a badass Craven versus Spider-Man fight where <laughs> Craven is winning uh, right up until Shocker turns up. Uh, so Shocker wasn't in the room. Shocker turns up and just blasts Peter through the window because he's a bit <laughs> of an idiot. Uh, Craven is enraged because he nearly had him subdued. He had him in like a headlock and he's about to beat him. Spider-Man breaks it and Shocker just goes, boom, <laughs> straight through the goddamn window. Um, so meanwhile, we see Daredevil is fighting off security that, you know, it's been breached, they're all flooding everywhere, security spots him, and he's just doing some Daredevil corridor <laughs> stuff. Uh, right up until Scorpion turns up and captures him. Scorpion, oh, okay. he can't beat Scorpion, and, you know, he wasn't expecting the tail. And just, yeah, you could say it's like his perception couldn't really. Yeah. Fair enough. We'll figure out something why Daredevil has to temporarily lose. Um, Spider Man, like, he's just been chucked out a window, he's not doing well, <laughs> he's beat to fuck. Um, he barely makes it back to MJ's and, like, passes out in her bed. Um, <laughs> and he wakes up and someone's, like, tending to him, but it's not MJ, it's Aunt May. Oh. And um, he starts, like, immediately apologising, but May just smiles and said she can never be angry at him. He said, look at all the good stuff you do. She tells him that she knows who her nephew is. And he ne- what happened to Happy was a tragedy, but it was never Peter's fault. He never killed anybody. This is all someone else is doing. Um they just need to prove to everyone else that Peter Parker's the good guy. Yeah. Uh, Jay Jonah has footage of Spider-Man attacking Oscorp. Mysterio's kind of been edited out the footage, so it <laughs> looks like he's just in there trying to get to Norma. Um, claim he's now out to attack the Osborns. Um, they show his accomplice, Daredevil. Um, accomplice. Accomplice, sorry. Daredevil. Uh, promising to unmask him in the middle of Times Square in a big display of Oscorp uh, and Osborn power. So they haven't whipped the mask off yet. Um... Spidey, despite his injuries, makes a decision. He won't let someone else be exposed like he was. Mm. He's going to stop them from revealing uh, Daredevil's identity. Um, Hunter's security around the event is tight. They've literally set up a stage in the middle of Times Square. Uh, and I, um, they soon train their guns on Spidey who, as he approaches the stand where Norma is like, holding Daredevil on his knees, ready to whip the mask off. Spider-Man lands, removes his mask, gets on his knees and puts his hand behind his head. And he's like, look, I'm going to go quietly, just, you know, don't do this to someone else. I, I surrender, we can stop all this, it's fine. He will accept, you know, he's still a vigilante, he's been doing illegal stuff, he's just going to accept that, you know, fine, if you want to send me away, send me away, stop this craziness, you'll get rid of the extra security, he'll be fine. Yeah. Um, Hunter drags him to, the Hunter guards drag him to the stage and put him in just like normal handcuffs. He could break them, but he's not going to because he's surrendered. Uh, all of a sudden, the second Spider-Man's in handcuffs and on his knees, a void appears and Mysterio steps out of it. Um, he explains that he's from another dimension but didn't want to reveal himself until the murderer of his doppelganger was caught. Uh, and now, now he's in custody, he's here to announce himself to the word again. The crowd's kind of like, oh, they're a okay. bit confused about the whole thing. Okay. Um, screens in, new, uh, in Times Square switch to a news broadcast uh, reporting um, that moments ago... Uh, the social media account uh, NY's PP uh, leaked footage of Osborne and Mysterio discussing their plans. This is what Daredevil was getting at. Yeah. I think. Um, <laughs> Mysterio openly admits what he did to Pete and helped rig Norma's um, election. 
Sentiment obviously turns in the crowd and everyone's starting to get a bit unruly. The hunter guards start turning their weapons on the crowd oh, and start God. shooting into the sky. Uh, Mysterio is flipping out like, no, 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 this is my return. <laughs> um, and they, in all the kind of hubbubaloo, uh, Pete breaks the handcuffs, no problem, whips Daredevil out and they kind of get above it or they get onto a nearby rift. Yeah. Um, they, they, no, sorry, they don't do that. They start <laughs> fighting the guards um, until Mysterio unleashes the drones he still has. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this time, obviously, they, they don't try and project illusions because um, with Oscorp's help, he's developed something new, hallucinogenic gas. Oh. This is where it becomes very derivative of your kids. <laughs> uh, the public starts seeing the hunters as monsters, mm. Um, as does Spidey. So when he's going to be fighting Scorpion, he looks more like comic book Scorpion. Nice. He's big and green. And, uh, and he sees the yeah, similar for Shocker. Um, so does that mean he look like a quilt? Yes. Cool. Big angry quilt. Um, Spidey engages as Daredevil goes to find Mysterio. Mm. He's like, right, no, you get in there. You can protect people a lot faster with all your gadgets and stuff than I can. I'll go find him. You just go and deal with it. Everyone's down there. And Spy ends up fighting mysteri- um, monstrous versions of Scorpio, Scorpion, Shocker, and Comedian, uh, struggling to take them on. Um, Daredevil lands on the stage he was just on, um, which he can, which he can, um, he, you know, he didn't see the monsters. Sense. He's blind. Well, he can see through, but he can see I people think. are there and fighting. But he doesn't like. He's obviously not as troubled by the things. That yeah, they are. he's not going to suffer from the hallucinogens. Yeah, he just starts walking towards the back wall of the stage, mm. like he just beelining there. Uh, when Craven turns up, we have a mind-blowing one-on-one fight between two of the best hand-to-hand people there is in the world. Um, and Daredevil wins. Um, and once the second he's done with Craven, again, he just starts walking towards the back of the stage mm. and appears to just punch the ball. But he, obviously, because he's the man without fear, all this stuff doesn't happen, and yep. he knows exactly what's going on, that wasn't really the wall. He just punched Mysterio in the face. Um, <laughs> knocked him out, like... Cracks the gauntlet, all the illusions drop. Yeah. Um, the gas goes away. Um, Spidey's still fighting. Um, he just manages to web the three people he was fighting together. Um, that would be the end of your big um, fight scene. Hold up, so that's, that's five. Ah, you're going to... Uh, I'll get to yeah. um, So Norma stands back on the stage and demands the arrest of Spider-Man, but the citizens of New York rally up and kind of stand against... Uh, stand, stand up for Peter, saying, like, look... Clearly, he's the good guy. You're right on um, Spartacus moment, basically. Yes. So they all kind of form behind him, much like in Spider-Man 1, um, the original Spider-Man 1, yeah. when it's like, you pick on New York, you pick on all of us, uh, <laughs> and the police arrest Norma and Mysterio instead. Uh, Pete's celebrated for his efforts, but still needs to face trial for being a vigilante. He's represented by, by Matt Murdock uh, in court. Uh, and the post credit scene... Uh, oh, The post credit scene would see Spidey accepted back into S.H.I.E.L.D. by Nick Fury... Um, and kind of admonish him for being so stupid as not to come for him for help, um, and says he will now operate as one of their... Um, he will be a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent now, mm. work for Nick Fury, in exchange for the protection of his family. Because obviously they're still out there, they're still, you know, could be um, under threat from attack, so they're going to give him S.H.I.E.L.D. level yep. security to make sure it doesn't happen, much like with Hawkeye. Um, they've said that your first mission is going to be in space, and <laughs> he's presented with the black suit which has been made from alien biotech. <laughs> so we go into space, we're going to do some sort we'll of do some, stuff. We'll do some symbiotes. We don't know whether it's a crossover yet. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But yes, so as Michael may have alluded to, they've said for years we're going to do the Sinister Six. Yep. 
And I thought, that's real comic book and I don't have the answer for how you make it. All legit six, you know, are actually fighting him at the same time. Yeah. But your six would be Craven, Chameleon, Shocker, Scorpion, Norma Osborn, and Mysterio. Mm. That's your six bad guys in this story. Yeah. We're avoiding doing Green Goblin. Because it's been done to death. Exactly. I thought you could, you could kill off Norma and make Harry be either Green or Hobgoblin. You could do that with Flash, but... I didn't really feel the strength there. I think we've all seen goblins done to death. Yeah. There will be a time to do it again. We've got Ann Osborne there, though, so it kind of feels complete. Exactly, exactly. And, you you know, Hobgoblin isn't an Osborne, you know, so they can just, if you want a yeah, goblin in your life. Yeah, he was scientist, wasn't he? Yeah, he was just, I can't remember who he is, but yeah. You <laughs> this could guy. Just, this, this guy's name, he's going to be a Hobgoblin. Whew. Highly derivative, as I said, <laughs> of several things. But that was my one-night pitch for Spider-Man Home No More. Um, Yeah. I like it. Thank you. I liked it a lot. For what was hastily cobbled together from your pitch, my pitch, us bantering after the recording the Joker podcast. The video game. The video game. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I would watch the hell out of it. Yeah, obviously, we could do a more in-depth one, really explore Craven, really push the J. Jonah stuff a lot more, but... Yeah, I did consider at one point, oh, we're just going to be fighting Mysterio again, which is why I did the hallucinogenic gas, so it's not the exact same fight. It's not they're fighting one big projection, it's Scarecrow in Batman yeah, yeah. begins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. Whew. Get nice comfortable, one. everybody. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Take a seat, everyone. It's time yeah. for everyone's... Ballet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> everyone saw this coming. I'm doing... Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. He's even done a logo! You'll see it if you go to my Spotify playlist for the soundtrack, which will be a major part of the pitch. Um, Darren, we're going to remember that lovely little tingy noise we had? Is the ding coming back? The ding's coming back. Everyone praise the ding. Right then, Uh, so I'm not going to do much of a preamble for this, because if we do, we shall be here until the actual film comes Mm -hmm. out. So I'm just going to get right into it. Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Here we fucking go. We open on the Sovereign homeworld, and a title in the corner reads, The Sovereign 2018. A collection of scientists are gathered around the birthing capsule, last seen in the post credit scene for Volume 2, with Aisha returning uh, Elizabeth Debicki, um, overlooking the proceedings. One of the advisors explains that the birthing pod is unstable, and there's no guarantee that they can't contain... Sorry, there's no guarantee that they can contain the energy that's building inside. Aisha insists that her perfect being must be born and that her four-year wait to become the dominant force in the galaxy will not be for nothing. Uh, at that point, a collection of high-ranking Sovereign members, so like the admirals that we saw in the fleet, uh, they storm the birthing room and they say that Aisha has gone mad um, and they have started to stage a coup. They're calling for the abolition of her as High Priestess and they want to go to a sort of a republic. Um, this breaks out into a blaster fight. Uh, in the fight, Aisha starts sort of quite theatri- theatrically declaring that uh, she's abdicating from the Sovereign, and that she has perfected the ultimate life form, found her true calling, and is starting something called the Universal Church of Truth, uh, that's going to rise from the ashes of the falling Sovereign Empire. The birthing part at that point explodes open, and Adam Warlock... Played, I forgot that I've got pictures, Darren. There is so much I've got to do. This is why I've got two screens. Adam Warlock played by Alexander Skarsgård. Okay. I've had him in several pitches before. He was was my Nova in the one where we did Phase 4. Yeah. But then I've got a new Nova. And then before that, he was Kazar. And then I don't want to do Kazar anymore. So it's freed him up. It was between him and Jamie Lannister. 
And I figured, oh, okay. I figured he could do innocent more than yeah. uh, Nicolai Costa-Waldo. Did you not want John Cena from I didn't, One Piece? No. Oh, okay. And it's John... No. John that was a hell of a thing, but that's not what I'm going for. That's fine. Um, so Alexander, and, uh, Alexander Skarsgård, as Adam Warlock, stumbles out in a cloud of smoke. Aisha claims his birth as the coming of the true god of the universe and says, all those who oppose him will settle as dust on the ground. At that moment, the effects of the snap happen. <laughs> Uh, and half of the chamber is reduced to ash. Uh, both Adam and Aisha do survive the event, but this causes everybody else in the blaster fight to immediately drop arms and pledge allegiance to Aisha's new church. Uh, Adam is looking around the room, totally confused as to what he's just been born into. Uh, and Aisha turns to him and says, My son, you have already started changing the universe as we know it. And we pull in on a confused Adam Warlock. He doesn't have the gem in his head, but that will come later because it's a plot point. Roll your Marvel Studios logo. We go to 2024 uh, in the kiln where a riot has broken out, which was the prison from Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Prisoners are battling with the guards and each other, except for one inmate sitting alone in his cell. It's Kraglin! Um, (laughs) Sean Gunn. Yep. Um, He's got the Yondu's fin, Mm -hmm. but it's silver now, because that's what he had in Endgame. He was like in the background of a scene in Endgame, so that's what he's got. A big, monstrous alien inmate breaks into his cell and starts threatening to kill Kraglin. And Kraglin just looks bored and says, I wouldn't do that. Uh, The monster charges at him and Kraglin goes... So the arrow pierces the monster's skull and he drops dead on the floor. Now that Kraglin goes and grabs his arrow out of the head, puts it back in the little pouch that Yondu had, Mm -hmm. um, and... His door is open. He can get out of the prison. As he steps out, he narrowly avoids a shot from a huge blaster. He looks round to see Rocket. Um, Kraglin assumes that the Guardians have come to rescue him, and Rocket is poorly covering this up with fake agreement. Like, yeah, totally. Uh, Kraglin said, he's looking for her, isn't he? To which Rocket responds with, well, she's not here, that's for sure. Quill's doing a lot of dumb things right now, and this is just one of them. Come on, let's blow the joint. Uh, Rocket and Kraglin go back to meet up with the rest of the current Guardians. So you've got Drax, Dave Batista, Groot, Vin Diesel. Um, I'm thinking young adult Groot, not as old as he was in 1, certainly not as young as he was in Endgame. Right, okay. Nebula, Karen Gillan, Mantis, Pom Clementiev, and an almost recognisable full-bearded hobo Star-Lord. Chris Pratt, obviously. Right. Uh, the group sheepishly say hello to Kraglin, who says that he knows they aren't there to rescue him. Uh, Star-Lord says... Is the Quadrant here, which was the big quarter of one of the Ravager ships that they had in the end of part two. Mm-hmm. Kraglin says they impounded it and crushed it and vaporized it with a laser beam. Please, for the love of God, tell me your ship's in one piece. Star-Lord presses a little shitty keychain clicker, yeah. which goes beep, beep, on, the, on the Benatar. Uh, and they all fight their way uh, with Star-Lord backing up Han Solo style up the ramp. onto the ship this leads you into the opening title sequence uh, and this is where Darren will be playing the first of the little ding ding noises and where we're going to have to do some editing uh, where we get sleeping with the television on by Billy Joel over the titles so while sleeping with the television on is playing uh, the team are shown battling through a series of rooms and worlds you've got to imagine the camera is rotating around sort of like a four-cornered set, and every time it goes past one quarter, a new scene, like a new planet, a new room mm-hmm. is showing. It's like one big rotating shot like that. Right. Um, 
So it's not unlike a reel-to-reel player in the way that the camera moves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or they're all cutouts of larger scenes. In this, we see that the current aim of the team is tracking Gamora back through the cosmos and bringing her back into the team. During this, we see that Star-Lord is actually struggling to deal with uh, the absence of Gamora and is becoming a less effective and quite abrasive leader. The scenes are shown uh, you know, through several battles and they, you can get some individual character moments in there. So you've got like Star-Lord crying in his bunk or Gro- Rocket doing some parenting with Groot, that kind of stuff. The final shot, as the end of the song comes round, is everybody asleep in the cockpit whilst the screen that we saw at the end of Endgame with Gamora's face on it and searching dot, 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 it pulls in on that, on Gamora's face, as the song ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, spirits are low on the Benatar, and the group is exasperated with all the travel, but Star-Lord is dead set on finding Gamora. Rocket points out that they've followed every single lead they've had to a dead end, and they find themselves back at the edge of the universe with no leads, no plan, and no hope. If anything, they need a break. There is one final place that they haven't reached, and it would make a good place to rest up and restock before they go out and see if there's any further leads. Star-Lord sets a course for nowhere of course, from mm-hmm. part one, uh, to gather intel on the whereabouts, uh, whereas the others are just planning on using the downtime to finally get some of the creature comforts and make repairs to the ship, as it is in a bit of a state. Right. Which is where we get the second song. Um, now, this was Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere, but I've swapped it at the last minute, literally okay. as I was sitting down. Uh, we're going to have Ventura Highway by America. Okay. Whilst on Nowhere, Star-Lord and Nebula head into the city, and Rocket elects to stay on the ship to do maintenance whilst the other Guardians take this chance to relax. Uh, over the comms unit, a distress signal has sounded, and it comes from a former member of the Sovereign, Zylak. You suck, Zylak. Oh, okay. Um, he asks anyone to save him, and he says, they found me. Rocket knocks it off and chooses to ignore it by saying, these golden assholes couldn't be bothered to come and fight Thanos on Earth, and I'm pretty sure we're still wanted in their system. So the less we hear from them, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that Xylac's actually on nowhere, and he's talking to a little, like, communicator yeah. thing. Um, after he sees that nobody's picked up his thing, he slams it shut and starts running through the city, terrified. At that moment, uh, a number of temple ships, which you kind of have to imagine as pyramids with space jets on them, crash through the skull of nowhere and begin firing down randomly into the city. Rocket recalls the the Guardians who are off the ship and says head to the site of the trouble. As they scramble over, they hear an announcement over loudspeakers in a thick Russian accent. Oh God, I've got to do a thick Russian Mm. accent. Um, That says... Uh, I can't do it. Use your imagination. Imagination. Lovely. Uh, Guardians, head to sector sector four. Don't hold back, comrades. Um, Star Lord and Rocket say to each other that it's interesting that they've been gone for years, but the galaxy still needs them. At that point, they hear voices in their head again in the thick Russian accent that says, "Apologies, I didn't mean you." The two sort of stop dead and look at each other, uh, perplexed as to where the voice is coming from. Like a, did you hear that kind of moment? Um, until a figure surrounded in golden energy shoots past them like inches from their face. As we get, my boy, uh, Richard Roder, Roder? Richard Ryder, a.k.a. Nova, Mm. played... You should have known this was coming. You should have known this was coming, and I think you'll be pleased with my selection. He's played by... John Cena? Not not everyone's John Cena. He's played by Tom Hopper from... um, Uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, Umbrella Academy and Game of Thrones. Yes! Yeah. Okay! He's my Nova. Solid choice. It's a good one. Um, so, Nova gives the call for the Guardians to attack. And this is where we're introduced to a team called the Guardians of Nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, they consist of Nova, obviously, 
Uh, Philavel, otherwise known as Quasar, who I'm having played by Sophia Lillis, who you might remember from it, oh, it, yeah. Chapter 1. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Chapter 2. And Chapter... I haven't seen it yet. Oh. Um, it's also got Bug in it, uh, who is being played by Kaven Novak, who you know from uh, What We Do in the Shadows yes. and Four Lions. And Phone Jacker. Never and Phone Jacker. We will never forget Phone Jacker. Jacker. It's ridiculous how handsome this man can be. Right? It's scary. Right? And he was Phone Jacker. Uh, and also Adam Warlock. Now he's got the little gem in his head, this little green... It's, but it's not a gem. It's more, think, an, sort of an angled... Kind of like a plastic cover LED yeah, yeah. sort of thing. Okay. It, it's definitely tech rather than right. a stone. It's not naturally occurring. Gotcha. Uh, and the four of them start going to town on the church. Rocket says, you've been telling me that I've been away from this dump for five stinking years and they've already replaced me. I have exactly zero patience for this. This causes Rocket to start attacking the new guardians, hoping to show them up, whilst he's also trying to fend off uh, the temple ships. Right. So here's your first big action scene. It's a three-way fight between the current Guardians, the Guardians of Nowhere, and uh, the Universal Church of Truth. Right. Um, you can see Rocket and Star-Lord taking on Nova. Uh, you can see Drax trying to put a dent into Adam Warlock and doing absolutely nothing. And Nebula getting her ass handed to her by Quasar. Uh, Groot tries to befriend Bug instead, and they're both cool with it. Yeah. So they get along and just start actually fighting the church off whilst everybody else is having their own little mini-civil right. war moment. Uh, amongst the skirmish, uh, we get a high-ranking member of the church called Cardinal Raker, mm. uh, who I've got played by Mark Dacosis. Uh You might remember him as the sushi chef assassin from John Wick 3. Oh, yes. Unfortunately, they all look generic as shit, so I haven't got a, a thing for you here. Just imagine one. that guy in big golden pointy armour. Cool. Um and he corners Zylak, the one who put out the distress signal. Drax tries to get in between the two after he realises he can't take on Adam, uh, and Raker just tosses him aside. Right. Um, Raker kills Zylak and beams back up to one of the temple ships, which zips away. Uh, as the other two try to enter um, one of the jumping wormhole things, mm-hmm. uh, they find themselves slowly coming towards um, nowhere as Stormbreaker is embedded in the top of one of the ships. Right, I was going to wonder where he was. Yeah, because we know this is taking place after Thor 4, Yeah, but he also does now hang out with the Guardians. Yes. I've not thought about what happens in Thor 4. I've mm-hmm. just gone, that happens, and now he's here. Right, okay. Uh, so Thor comes down uh, using like the pair of the Bifrost to push the ships into nowhere mm-hmm. to flatten them. Um, everyone's happy to see Thor, except Star-Lord, who says, we just dropped you off two minutes ago, and now you're back? Mm-hmm. Uh, Rocket says, please deal with the weird golden guy in the dress, and Thor obliges, and you get a Thor versus Adam Warlock one-on-one that ends with an explosive power struggle and Adam being the victor. Uh-huh. Um, on that, Nova sort of kind of pushes a button in his helmet or he just speaks, I don't know, and says, Moondragon, we could do with a timeout over here. At that point, the Guardians find themselves sort of forced to the ground by telekinesis Mm -hmm. as Moondragon, not um, Heather Douglas, but Kamaria, the daughter of Drax. Okay. um, And obviously, I needed somebody who looks good with a bald head. You know exactly... You know what I've done here. Yes, yes. Millie Bobby Brown yes. is my Kamaria. I wanted somebody that was the same age as Phyla for very good reasons later on. Very nice. She walks out into the street. Um, she's bald. The full thing. Yep. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Millie. We have to do that to you again. 
Drax instantly recognises that that is his daughter and he comically is brought to tears. So you right. get an ugly crying moment from okay. Drax. Um, Kamaria too recognises that that's her father and they embrace and the team's call a truce. But Star-Lord's only got one question on his mind, which is what he says to uh, Nova as the scene ends. Where is Gamora? Right. Now we kind of go back a little bit to 2018 and we see Gamora has snuck aboard... Uh, one of the Ravagers' ships, um, mm-hmm. as they left for the from the Battle of Earth, where they defeated Thanos. Right. Um, this segment of where she ends up is accompanied by the song "Move On Up" by Curtis Mayfield. Yay! So whilst uh, you've got Curtis Mayfield playing, uh, we see that she's uh, come as a stowaway on a Ravagers' ship uh, following the Battle of Earth and made her way across the galaxy. She's now a lost soul, devoid of any purpose or any sense of normality. She's back to being an assassin for hire. Uh, she finds herself living in a hovel uh, on the planet of Paramata, or it could be Paramata, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's actually in the comic books, um, you know, the prelude comic books to the yes. movies? It was in that. Oh. Um, it's a low-rent space or planet, and it's riddled with crime, so it's a good place for her to be going and doing assassiny things. We see her turning in a contract and wiping um, her, a dagger clean. It's not her sword. Right. She doesn't have that anymore. She's just got, like, shitty daggers. Um, and she gets paid, like, a small amount of money. Like, <laughs> to make a reference, one quarter portion. Right. Okay. <laughs> like, it's that kind of moment. She starts to argue with the clerk at the desk and says, I was told this job pays higher, but she's basically laughed out of the uh, out of the little office, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so she finds herself walking the slums of Parramatta where she's approached by a, high re- a higher ranking member of the Universal Church of Truth, Inquisitor Arakine, who I've got, again, I can't show you, but imagine Jared Harris from Chernobyl. The yeah, ma- yeah, yeah, yeah. As kind of like a priestly looking figure. Yeah, that worked. With a little bit of the old gold pointy armor uh, for good he measure. He was also Moriarty in the uh, Robbie Dane Jr. Sherlock Holmes. Yes, he was. Um, so, ha- Arakine actually recognises who Gamora is, mm-hmm. uh, but treats it as a new encounter and says that I, he was impressed by her skill and he comes bearing an offer of a way to get off this world. Uh, Gamora attentively wants to listen and agrees to join Arakine on board his ship. We see them walking towards a temple ship as we cut back to nowhere. Uh, the two teams are talking it out in a bar where Peter is arguing with Nova saying, I came up with the Guardian's name. You guys stole it. Uh, Nova's trying to satiate them by saying it's a homage, like we didn't know where you'd gone. Right. Um, then there's a look of disbelief from the old Guardians uh, when a Soviet space dog in a big fishbowl helmet called Cosmo, voiced by Alan Tudyk. Yeah, um, Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk enters and begins to debrief the Guardians of Nowhere. They're what? like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those moments. Rocket is looking at the dog with a grimace because that references him not liking the look of Cosmo from part one. Uh, I'm sorry, Darren, but it's backstory time. I couldn't find a way of putting this into dialogue, so I'm just going to explain how everybody got here. So Nova was called up to the Nova Corps when he was a boy in the 80s. Uh, In 2018, he found himself as the sole survivor of Xandar when uh, Thanos decimated the planet to get the Power Stone. After that, because he was off-world, he got the entirety of the power of the world mind, mm-hmm. which is all the collective knowledge and power of the Nova Corps, so he's basically the new Nova Prime. Um, after the snap, he was contacted by Cosmo to form up a new team in the absence of the Guardians of the Galaxy and use the name to carry on the legacy. He bonds with uh, Peter Quill sharing stories of Earth as he's doing this, uh, and Quill said, I return just for one day. Nova says, has it changed? Quill said, most of it was on fire at the time. I didn't get a chance to look around. The music does suck now, though. There we go. 
Kamaria, Moondragon, uh, arrived in this timeline after falling through a tear in hers, where it was Drax who was killed by Ronan the, Cu- Ronan the Accuser and not her. Oh, yeah. She swore vengeance and started training with the Shaolong monks in order to push her bind- their body and mind to the fullest potential. At the time of the snap in our universe, uh, she plotted to kill her version of Thanos, but ended up in our universe, where Thanos has already won. Uh, She was found by someone called Wendell Vaughn. I've not cast them. You only see them in one flashback scene. Uh, who is a human scientist and the widowed husband of um, Marvel from Captain Marvel, which was uh, Annette Bening. Yep. um, Wendell Vaughan, her husband, was protecting the quantum bands with his daughter, Phyla, which is Sophia Lillis. Mm. Um, Nova explains what's been happening since they've been dead. Uh, he says that the Universal Church of Truth re- reared their heads in 2018 following the snap. They claimed to have a pacifist approach to men in the galaxy, uh, saying that prayer and belief in oneself and the, uh, their God would mend the galaxy's damage. They derive power through something called faith generators, machines that produce destructive energy through the incantations of its followers. So it's kind of a mixing of magic and science. Right. Your ancestors called it magic. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was surprisingly... That's a good Thor 1 impression. <laughs> um, so worlds get approached peacefully at first to become a member of this organised faith, uh, but they are purified if they refuse, which means they get completely marmalated uh, and they are labelled as sympathisers of the Mad Titan uh, Nowhere received this offer when once Cosmo the Space Dog took over the security detail of um, Nowhere uh, he refused and now they've been consistently at siege ever since they've been it's a war of attrition it's right. trench warfare in a big old head okay um Phyla explains that after the snap happened, her father tried to use the quantum bands to protect people. Uh, that resulted in him, in him dying at the hands of the Cardinals. Um, I've put that you could have this on Kralar, which is Marvel's homeworld from the movies. Right. You might do that, you might not. It's up to you. Mm-hmm. That results in the quantum bands being relinquished to Phyla upon her father's death, and her and Kamari have been travelling with Nova, Bug, and Cosmo ever since. Those are the new Guardians. Right. So... Back to the temple ship. Um, Aisha recognises Gamora as a guardian of the galaxy and prepares to have her killed. But Arakine explains that this Gamora seemingly has no memories of the previous six years and has no affiliation to the guardians, uh, to which Gamora does back up. She talks about her betrayal of Thanos, her travelling through time and rejecting to join the guardians again. Aisha sees this as an opportunity and offers to make her a cardinal. She says, uh, well, she lies, basically, that the Universal Church of Truth are attempting to bring peace to the galaxy by removing anybody who still sympathises with Thanos. Um, They just want to help worlds affected by the decimation. She kind of misleads Gamora a little bit and says that uh, the people on on a planet called Deneb 5 have been radicalised by the Black Order or what remains of it. Mm -hmm. Nothing remains of it. It's all bullshit. Uh, and they need to be taken out of action. Gamora is uneasy with this proposition, but she just wants a way out of the hovel-encrusted life that she knows and says that, above all, she knows that her father's influence needs to be wiped from the galaxy. She takes the deal. On the Benatar, back on Nowhere, Rocket returns with some data drives from Cosmo, which shows that Gamora was last seen in 2018 when she disappeared with Thanos during the events of Infinity War. Mm -hmm. And Rocket tries to explain to Star-Lord that he's had a thought. When Tony snapped away Thanos' army, Gamora could have easily have gone with them. Uh, Star-Lord refuses to accept that this is the case and is noticeably unstable in terms of his emotions. 
Um, he's holding Gamora's sword at this point, and he says, I will find her if it kills me. He puts one last call out, uh, like he does like a little pre-recorded message, and kind of like a ship in a bottle, sends it out mm-hmm. into the into the space, begging for Gamora to come home and become a guardian again. At this, he kind of slumps into his quarters as the message is being trans uh, trans uh, emitted, transmitted. Yep. Uh, which is where we get our fourth song, um, "Hanging on the Telephone" by The Nerves. Gamora and the Temple ship land on Deneb Five. Gamora's now wearing a more classic version of her costume, including the hood. Mm-hmm. She's got a bit of armor going on, and she's got a brand new Claymore-style sword. Right. Um, her, Raker, and Arakine are addressing the planet from inside the temple ship. They're kind of hovering above. Kind of think of a, um, a close encounter of the third kind moment. Yes. Or Independence Day. Yeah, Independence Day. Um, citizens of Deneb 5, this is a peaceful offer from the Universal Church of Truth. Only together can we mend the broken galaxy. By becoming a part of our holy collective, we can share the secrets to everlasting happiness and purpose in the universe. Please accept this humble offer and become one with us in prayer. The alternative need not be discussed. Uh, shortly after their address, a communications channel opens up as a representative from Deneb 5 refuses to give in to the demands, knowing that the church is trying to manipulate them and basically turn them into a workhouse planet. Yeah. Um, the representative says, we will not go down without a fight and I'm calling for all the backup I can. The Mova Corps, the Guardians, the Captain, I'm calling all of them. Uh, the broadcast gets cut off by Aisha and she gives the order to start purifying the planet. Uh, on Nowhere, Cosmo's watching this unfold. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got stuff that you he's can get live screens. In. Yeah, yep. he's got the full-on Sky Space subscription. Wow, uh, premium package. <laughs> right, he's, he's, he's paying out top dollar for that. Uh, and he sends a message to the Guardians to ready up the ships. The Benatar and a big version of uh, a Zandarian Star Blaster, which was those like star-shaped ships yes. from part one, they blast off out of nowhere and head and jump on over to Deneb 5. On the way over, Star-Lord says that they passed Deneb 5 already and couldn't find Gamora, and Star-Lord's kind of a bit embittered for going back on his route. Uh, and Rocket says, Quill, I want to find her just as much as you, but this space cult seems like bad news. Let's just get back to guarding the galaxy, just like we used to do. You know, like it's in our name or something. Yeah. They arrive on Deneb 5, and the two teams work alongside each other to fight against the church on the back, on the ground, and in the air. Um... Across the battlefield, Nebula spots Gamora and tries to make contact with her. But on board the temple ship, Arakine is pulling the strings. He notices this and remarks that this would ruin the plan um, and orders Cardinal Raker to attack Nebula head on. Uh, Raker leads a team of knights, like all their... There's knights, cardinals, inquisitors, and then there's um, Matriarch, which is Aisha right at the top, and then Adam's the god. Right. that's a bit of a spoiler. Sorry about that. Whoops, it is. Uh, so Raker leads his team to stop this from happening, uh, and Aisha sees the struggle below and instructs Arakine to dial up the faith generator. Um, so Arakine starts punching numbers on this big, glowing, golden machine. Right. Uh, and the, the forces of the church begin to get a golden aura, uh, and they can fight back much harder than before. It's basically like having an entire team of supermen, basically. Right, okay. They've got buffed. They've got buffed. Sweet. Um, Aisha is pleased with the results and says that she's heading down to the planet herself. Uh, below, Gamora is given the orders to attack the Guardians um, upon Aisha's arrival. Uh, she announces herself as Matriarch Aisha and calls out to Adam, saying, My son, it's time to come home. Adam is initially reluctant to go, saying, I'm not going with you. But he suddenly 
physically snaps to attention. Um, the gem on his forehead has changed from a green colour to a blood red, and he marches over the line and joins his mother. She's holding a device in her hand that is controlling Adam Warlock. Right. Uh, Aisha explains that Adam is the perfection of sovereign creation, and indeed a god, but does require divine influence from time to time. Right. Aisha says, You guardians have meddled in my affairs for the last time, and don't think I haven't forgotten the shame you brought upon me many years ago. But now I have found a new path, the righteous path, and now our faith, our power will crush you and anyone else who denies the true way. From behind, Gamora's approached the Guardians with an entire team. Um, and Star-Lord calls out to her and tries to charge towards her to embrace her. Gamora just clonks Peter with the butt of a sword. Yep. Um, and is not having absolutely none of it. Aisha gives the order to attack and Adam Warlock goes fucking ham on the Guardians. Okay. This is where you get the only song from the 90s in the soundtrack. Uh, Time Bomb by the old 97s. Okay. Which, funnily enough, Darren, is um, the favourite song of James Gunn's favourite band. Oh, I go. did my research well, when it came it. to this. Uh, so, chaos ensues on Deneb 5. Star-Lord um, begs Gamora to come back on board the Benatar, uh, but she refuses. Um, in and amongst all the chaos, she says, Peter, all I know about you is that in another future I loved you and it got me killed. The universe doesn't need another Thanos, and I intend to make sure nobody goes down that path. I was dragged away from my own time to solve a problem I wasn't even a part of, and I can't let that happen again. And Salo says, does that mean leaving me behind? Gamora says, I can't leave you when I've never met you. But Star-Lord's completely broken up. He masks up and just starts gunning straight for Aisha. He slaps his jet boots on, yep. charges towards her, just yelling, what did you do to her? Um, Adam gets in one atomic bitch slap on Star-Lord, which puts him out of commission. Stoom. Yeah, no. you you did that. Uh, you know what? I'm going to take what you just did whilst we were listening to Time Bomb. Go on. He flicks him in the head and sends him Stoom. crashing through a building. Lovely. How about that? Um, Aisha responds in a theatrical manner uh, to the question, what did you do to her? She responds, I gave her faith. I gave her faith more than you ever could, and I set her free. Um, Nebula tries to get close to Gamora to ask her what she's doing. Um, and she tries to yell out, saying, if anyone's the new Thanos, it's you. Uh, Gamora says she can't trust anyone and tases Nebula and doesn't kill her, mm. just incapacitates her. At this point, Mantis, who obviously is not a frontline fighter, yes. witnesses this happening and manages to drag Nebula away from the battle. Right. Uh, Nova is fighting up on the temple ship, which is he knows that's where the faith generator is. He knows where that power is coming from. He takes Rocket and Groot with him and leads a fight against Inquisitor Arakine. Uh, Arakine is able to channel energy directly from the generator and fends all three of them off. Um, he then starts bumping the generator up even more, giving Adam the ability to completely decimate Thor and Nova. So the team have failed on all three fronts. Um, now that Adam is back with Aisha, he introduces himself to Gamora, and the two seem to have a little bit of a spark going on there. Ooh. They return to the temple ship along with Raker and Aisha, and set a course back to the Sovereign homeworld. Before they leave, Aisha releases a giant orb of energy from the ship and launches it towards the planet, hoping to kill the Guardians. This is where the Benatar, piloted by Kraglin for the very first time, swoops in and gathers everyone up mm -hmm. before the giant ball of energy slams into the planet and blows it the fuck up. Oh, it's Death Star. It's Death Star, dear. Right. Um, 
the planet sort of crumbles into dust along with the other ship that was down there uh, when Bug says, ah, shit, I left my wallet in that ship. Um, Star-Lord looks out the, war- out the window of the Benatar to the temple ship, sort of like, kind of like directly at it and right. directly at a window where Gamora is. Mm. You can't see her, but, you know, we have a yeah, moment yeah. of he's looking out to her. Um, Gamora studies the damage and glances over at the Benatar, but quickly turns away from the window. This is where you get a bit of a somber moment to the tune of She's Gone by Hall and Oates. So, needless to say, spirits are low. Star-Lord is moping out of a window when Rocket angrily calls him to a meeting in the communal area on the Benatar. During the meeting, Star-Lord is adamant that they have to go and rescue Gamora, but wants revenge on Aisha for brainwashing her. Uh, Rocket points out that this Gamora is obviously different to the one that they lost in 2018 and tells Quill that he's barking up the wrong tree. Rocket instead reveals that he's seen this kind of technology before on his homeworld, but never used on this kind of scale. He says that the best course of action is to learn how to destroy these generators and do just that. This is where Star-Lord and Rocket get into an explosive argument over how to proceed, where Rocket says, look, when the chips were down, I did what had to be done. I became an Avenger. I went to your dumb planet and saved your sorry asses because I thought I'd lost you. I'm not letting any of you put your stupid lives at risks ever again. Stolo tells Rocket that he isn't the leader, and Rocket says, and you were the asshole who let Thanos snap half of all life away. I know what happened on Titan. I had years to get a very detailed account from Stark. You screwed up so bad, I had to go back in time and steal a space rock out of Thor's girlfriend. So, yeah. yeah. Um, during this kind of heated altercation, Nebula, Nebula has taken Mantis aside and sort of quite difficultly thanked her for dragging her out of the battle. Right. Uh, she repays this in kind by kidnapping Mantis at gunpoint and stealing a drop pod. Ah. They're heading for the Sovereign homeworld, but we'll get to their journey in just a moment. Right. Rocket continues to chew Peter out about the events of Infinity War before resolving to leave with anyone who thinks Star-Lord shouldn't be their leader anymore. The Guardians are left splintered. We've got Star-Lord and Kraglin resolving to stay together with Thor and Nova on a quest to go and take out Aisha. Yep. Rocket leaves with Groot, Drax, Kamaria and Quasar and heads for Rocket's home planet to learn how to destroy the generators. And Cosmo and Bug return to nowhere, preparing for another counterattack from the church. Okay. Um, this is where... Oh, Jesus. What's going on here? So, sorry, I just clicked edit. Oh, I don't want to do that. Um, this is where we cut to the Sovereign homeworld. We see the Sovereign, mm-hmm. the title, on screen, which kind of like digitally changes to the word sacrosanct. It's changed its name. Nebula and Mantis' pod lands on the outskirts of a Vatican-like holy city. Right. Uh, and Mantis says to Nebula, why am I necessarily here? I don't understand it. I'm not a frontline fighter. Nebula says that she needs to rescue Gamora's soul. And Mantis is there to help her satiate her sister's emotions. Nebula confines that in the five years she was without the Guardian, she actually felt sadness for the first time. And she wants to repay the, all that her sister had done for her. So inside the walls, um, Adam and Gamora are getting to know each other. Gamora asks Adam about what happened on Deneb, and Adam says that... And he's, by the way, he's Gem's green again, so he's good, Adam. Uh, Adam says that Aisha is his mother, and ultimately he's going to have to do what she says, whether or not he agrees. And he's had this from a, an early age. She has kind of dictated what his destiny is. Gamora says, but people who think they're gods have only ever caused torment. How are you different? 
And, and Adam explains that it's something that he did try to hide from initially, but he only wants to help people in need, and he thinks that he could be a force for good, kind of twisting round the church yeah. all by himself. Adam says, I know my purpose, and I know that I'm a messiah to millions, and yet I fear I may not know the very first thing about being a god. Gamora weirdly comforts him, saying she also felt like her destiny was being shaped by her father, Thanos, and ultimately she had to decide what that destiny was going to look like herself. So Gamora resolves to help Adam become the best version of Adam Warlock. Um, We're treated to this kind of little scene where Adam is just exploring his powers kind of thing, how... Uh, Star-Lord had that throwing the energy ball back and forth, except he's like building matter from nothing and flying around the place like a madman. So he's like Dr. Manhattan on Mars, just... Yes. Fucking amazing. He's building Building the city. Uh, This is where we get the next song, uh, I'd Love to Change the World by 10 Years After. Or is it 10 Years Later? I think it's 10 Years After. We'll find out. Um, So we see Adam performing what is being treated as miracles... But as, we, as the camera pulls out in one long scene, we see that outside of the gilded walls of the city of Sacrosanct, um, it's, we show the true brutality of the Universal Church of Truth. We can see ex-sovereign members being put into slavery to create armaments. In one scene, Nebula and Mantis actually witness a mass execution of people who tried to flee the city. As the camera flies off world, we see more of the temple ships readying up to go and besiege other planets. Um, and in one scene, as it sort of tracks back round to the next planet we're going to, they're building churches and they're building monuments to Adam Warlock. Right. So, we now cut to an Earth-like planet which has a large metallic halo running all the way around it. Uh, a title reads, Half World. Uh, Rocket and his crew, so that's Groot, Drax, Kamari and Quasar, approach and land on the planet. Um... Through the windows of the ship, we can see that the world's actually kind of ruined. It's half grey technology and half incredibly lush, vibrant nature. Not exactly split down the middle, but there'd be like radar towers where you've got palm trees as well. Um, As they disembark, uh, Drax is getting very protective of his daughter, saying that she can't leave the ship. But Kamari is very confident in herself and insists that she's coming along. Rocket and Groot share a small bit of dialogue about, we're back here again. It's very clear that they didn't want to be here. Uh, Soon after, they're surrounded by robotic drones. Uh, The group ready up to fight, but EMP Pulse shoots down and wipes the robots out. Like, they Mm. all sort of drop to the ground. Imagine they're all floating, and they go, like that. Right. Um, A voice calls out, and just, what the hell do you think you're doing back here? The group look around, shocked, but Rocket just sighs and slowly turns around and says, can we talk? as we see an otter standing upright, holding a gun. This is Lila. She's being voiced by Amy Adams. Okay. Um, you hate Amy Adams. I've, you used to hate I Amy used Adams. I used to hate Amy Adams. I've come round on Amy Adams, Wee. thanks to Sharp Objects. Good job. Uh, but yeah, so imagine, like, it's she's slightly older than Rocket. She would have a bit of grey in her right. whiskers, and she's got kind of a regal dress on, and she's holding a big fuck-off gun and pointing right. at Rocket. Uh, Lila brings the group to a resistance base. Uh, in the time that Rocket's actually been away, Lila has established a full community on Halfworld with her as the governor. She's been referred to as Lady Lila. Um, Rocket and Lila are reflecting on the past with dialogue sort of along the lines of, you left because you couldn't control your greed and now you're coming back here looking <coughs> for help. <laughs> um, 
The rest of the crew ask the obvious question with Quasar breaking through the silence. Rocket, is this your girlfriend? Um, Rocket explains the backstory uh, with a flashback sequence and another song. Uh, the logical song by Supertramp. You didn't want the scooter version? No. No. Good morning. <laughs> I forgot he said good morning for no good reason. <laughs> no, not that version. Damn it. The original. Um, so this is where we get a bit of Rocket's backstory. Uh, years ago, Rocket and Lila lived on Halfworld as sentient versions of themselves as naturally occurring animals. So a proper raccoon and a proper otter. Right. Um, proper otter. Proper otter. A if you will. A prodder. A scientist called Wyndham, uh, being played by Lance Reddick. Um, you'll remember this from my other pitch. Uh, he played the High Evolutionary, which is ah, yeah. which is who he is here. Um, right. Herbert Wyndham, oh. uh, oh, yep, the High yep, Evolutionary. Yep. He's not the High Evolutionary here. He looks human. They are the High Evolutionary now. They've got him back. They do. I did right. have a picture, but I can't be bothered to get it up. You know what the High Evolutionary yeah, looks like. Yeah, yeah, but imagine, dude. yeah. But purple he's... Purple and grey, you feel Purple and... Grey or blue. Whatever. Yeah. We'll go purple and grey. But he's not that yet. Right. Um, so he comes to Halfworld and starts conducting experiments on the wildlife. This is where Rocket and Lila first meet as test subjects talking to each other through their cages. Um, the two's friendship blossoms into love and they find solace in each other's company after they have their horrific experiments conducted on them which force them to walk upright. Right. Um, they see after Rocket's um, surgery and he's completely wiped out, he's got his arm holding like outside of his cage mm-hmm. and Lila's reaching up and holding his hand. Right, very nice. It's going to be a real, really nice moment. It'll be sad, but it'll be very nice. Okay. Uh, so Wyndham's showing, gradually going crazier. He's built self-replicating robots carried to carry out the experiments for him and they're powered by an early version of the Faith Generator. Right. Soon after, Rocket stages a mass breakout and is shown leading an army with Lila, which results in Rocket, and I can't stress this enough, brutally shooting and killing Wyndham. Right. Um, Rocket and Lila do work together for a few years to protect Halfworld, but Rocket sort of kind of develops a greed that sets him down on a dark path as he starts killing and looting any ship that comes close to Halfworld. Right. Lila confronts Rocket about this, which results in the two breaking up. Rocket commandeers a ship and leaves Halfworld. And Lila is left heartbroken and continually tries to get in contact with him, but we see a scene where Rocket finally teams up with Groot and the two go off and have their adventures. So back in the present time, Rocket is shamefully begging for help. He says there's some wacko cult endangering the galaxy and they're going around blowing up planets. I know I've seen something that could do that here. You've got to help me, Lila, please. I know I don't deserve it, but don't tar the rest of the universe with the same brush as me. Lila is playing coy, but does say, I might have something that can help you. On Back on Sacrosanct, um, Nebula and Mantis do sneak their way into the Holy City to go and rescue Gamora. But when they find her, um, and Nebula tries to warn Gamora that the church are using her, Gamora is ab- having absolutely none of it. Uh, Mantis tries to do the empathic link with her, but Gamora just tackles her to the ground and calls for help. Adam comes out and discovers the scene, uh, but he ends up apologising to Nebula for betraying them on Deneb 5. And Adam says, well, you can all stay here as my guests. We'll keep you away from Aisha, but during this time, I can show you how the faith generators work. I can show you the sittings of Sacrosanct praying and being happy. So this is where we kind of get a bit of the kind of 
awful symbiotic nature that the church has with its followers. Right. As they pray, their incantations go into the machine, but they're drained of their life force. Right. So they are they are essentially harvesting human energy. Okay. Or, or anything they can get a hand on to power their own armies. Nebula takes Mantis aside and says that if they can't win Gamora back, they have to be ready to kill her and Adam before this gets out of hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so back on Halfworld, Rocket starts to dismantle one of the engines, looking... Uh, for a way to counteract them. At this point, he feels a gun pressed against his head, and it's Lila, and she's ordering him to stop what she's what he's doing. Rocket's confused, um, saying that he agreed to help her. Sorry, she agreed to help him, but Lila says, look, things have changed since you jumped ship and left here, and times got desperate. I did what was best for everyone. Half will... Uh, so, yeah. Yes. I did what was best for everyone. Just look. Through a window, you can see that all the experimented creatures of Halfworld are in prayer and they're powering a new faith generator. Right. So Rocket's looking with kind of an oh god look on his face and tries to reason with Lila, but she ends up stunning him. Um, Groot cries out and tries to ch- to charge Lila, but he's ambushed and subdued by the the followers. So all the creatures of Halfworld actually try to fight against Groot, and not wanting to hurt anyone, Groot willingly surrenders so that he's got a chance of saving Rocket. Lila apologises. Again, there isn't any bad blood between the two, and Groot seems to understand. Drax, on the other hand, starts punting the critters around the room. Right, okay, nice. (laughs) Um, He hopes to get a hit on Lila, but he's fine that his daggers are met with the blade of a cardinal, and it's Cardinal Raker. Um, This kind of sends Quasar into a bit of a rage, as she recognises it as the man who killed her father... And she helps Drax fight him back. Um, Raker can eventually see both of them off, and he has the knights restrain them both. Again, this is where everybody's frumph down with um, telekinetic energy. Uh, a moon dragon is... She's, you can see that she's going all out. She can't quite move. She can just talk. Um, and she's warning everybody not to make a move. Raker says that Moondragon's abilities are impressive, but he knows when a telepath is vulnerable. And he's actually able to, again, with a golden aura from the Faith Generator, break free of the telepathic hold and incapacitate uh, Moondragon. Raker makes a point of saying to both Drax and Quasar, I'm keeping this one, referring to uh, Moondragon. The two, so Drax and Quasar are dragged off uh, to be thrown in a hold by the church, mm-hmm. um, and Rocket and Groot are left in Lila's custody as we get um, Mama Told Me Not to Come by Three Dog Knight. <laughs> so, as this song is playing, we transition back to the Benatar. Yeah, we haven't caught up with Star-Lord for a while. Uh, So Nova, Star-Lord, Thor and Kraglin are approaching the planet called Sirius X. Um, This is a planet quite close to Sacrosanct. It's part of the Sovereign system. You know, there was like loads of planets in that opening shot of two. It's one of those. Uh, Nova informs the group that the main faith generator lies on Sirius X, but it's heavily guarded. Just getting close to the planet may prove difficult. And sure enough, as Star-Lord pilots the ship towards the planet, a huge laser obliterates the Benatar. So Star-Lord, Nova and Thor, they're all quite comfortable in breathing in space. But Kraglin begins to choke and freeze up. And we get a kind of humorous comical moment where they're struggling to think of a way to give him air. Mm. Before an M ship, which is the same brand of ship as both the Milano and the Benatar. Right. Jumps into place, grabs them with a tractor beam, and jumps out. Um, 
The next shot is Kraglin being CPR back to life by Thor just placing Stormbreaker on him and just going, just a little zap. Right, okay. Um, the crew are greeted in the hold by uh, Stakar Ogord, uh, Starhawk from Sylvester Stallone from part two. Okay, I was wondering where the dream team of Sylvester Stallone, Marty Saurus and Yoshimitsu was. Yes, Yay. here it is. Um, that's This is a revelation that kind of angers Star-Lord, who's disappointed that Kraglin called for backup without him knowing. Uh, Kraglin says, what good is a captain without a crew? And yours deserted you. You know, I didn't see a lot of Yondu in you, but maybe you are just like him, warts and all. This kind of shakes Star-Lord, and he kind of realises that all this time he's been risking the lives of his team just for one simple goal. In many ways, he's become everything he was fighting against, He's become the bad father. Mm. Um, so he takes a moment to sort of bring himself around to asking uh, Sylvester Stallone to help him. Uh, and Star Hawk agrees and leads them to a room where they get introduced to the team. So you got the Pluvian Crystal Man, uh, Martin X, that's Michael Rosenbaum, who was in part two. Yeah. Uh, Stakar's on again, off again, ex-wife Aletta O'Gord, Michelle Yeoh, which we saw at the end of part two. Mm. The big brick shit house from Jupiter Charlie 27, that's Ving Rames from the end of part two. Mm-hmm. Uh, the peppy death robot main, uh, mainframe, voiced by Miley Cyrus again from part two. And the snake-like sorcerer Krugar, who doesn't have a mouth, but I kind of would want him to have kind of like some animalistic noises. Yep. So I would drag Frank Welker in because he's voiced every animal going. Cool. That's uh, the Yoshimitsu looking dude. Yes, yeah, the one. Cool. Uh, Thor panics upon seeing mainframe and throws Stormbaker and cl- cleaves her head off. There is a beat where it's quite apparent that this hasn't killed her and everyone's just looking quite awkward. Thor says, sorry, I have a bad history with robots. And mainframe just quite happily accepts the apology and it ends with a scene of Thor clumsily trying to put the head back on mainframe. Uh, On Halfworld, Drax and Quasar are having a heart-to-heart in their prison cell about Kamaria. Uh, Drax regrets never seeing his daughter growing up and then putting her into danger at the very first opportunity and he wonders if it's finally time to give up the fight and live with his daughter in peace. Quasar struggles to admit it but Drax knows what she's trying to say. She's in love with Kamaria um, Drax, in a more serious moment, is able to sort of deduce this and sort of calm her. Uh, Quasar explains that she'll do anything to keep Kamaria safe, even lay down her life if necessary. Is this where we get to play Meat Loves? I would do anything for love? I wish I'd done that. Aww. Haven't done that. Uh, yeah. So Drax notes that this quality is everything that he wanted in her daughter's partner. Um, elsewhere on the planet, Kamaria is being restrained and hooked up to the faith generator so she can, because she's not going to do the incantations herself. Mm-hmm. So Rake has set up this kind of like, like kind of a whole body clamp, if right. you will, and he's draining her life force. Um, Lila says to Raker, I need to be ensured that Halfworld is safe. I've lived up to my side of the bargain. And Raker says, Halfworld's very much an afterthought. Uh, we've captured some enemies of the church. That's just a minor act of valor. Um, Raker expresses that he... Thoroughly hates Halfworld, and he says that once their purpose is fulfilled, the church will come with you for you with all of our power. When the warlock comes, you will die. Um, Lila makes her way down to the prison cells upon this and releases Drax and Quasar. She says that she may have been wrong about the whole situation, and the three head off to go and rescue Rocket, Groot, and Kamaria. At the same time as this, on Sirius X, Star Lord and uh, Stakar. Starhawk, Starlord and Starhawk. Uh, their team are infiltrating the compound where the main generator is being kept. So there, you get a bit of a moment with each of the 
of Stallone's team. The Guardians 3000 is the name of their team. Um, you get a little moment. They all get you get to show off what they do, basically. So mainframe does cool death robot things. Cool. You get a little bit of magic from Snake Yoshimitsu. Mm-hmm. It's it's all it's all cool. Stakar says to Peter. Um, sorry, sorry. Stakar says that Peter comes off as emasculated when he's compared in power to Nova or Thor. He has to realize his own worth by understanding how his friends feel about him, not how they view him. He says, even after a few decades of being apart, when Yondu died, we came together like nothing had ever happened. And that's what the Ravager Code does for you. It gives you a family. It gives you a purpose. To which Peter says, and a license for you to steal shit? Um, Nova chimes in and says that Peter doesn't respect his team. Um, There is no respect for the sacrifices they've made to be part of the team. No respect for their lives before they became a guardian. Thor 2 piles on and starts talking about duty. Um... So Peter's got three mentors to try and make him a better leader. Um, as the team approaches the large generator, they realise that there's no conceivable way that this one can be destroyed. Uh, Stakar gives Peter the reins of the operation and says, Come on then, Peter Quill of the Clan Udonta. What's the plan, Captain? Peter studies the environment and the skills of the people in front of him and says, We do what we do best. Uh, cut to a badass scene where Peter and the Ravagers uproot and steal the Faith Generator. Nice. Um, so, you know the the uh, prison break scene with Yondu and Rocket? Like, there was that big thing in a large... Yes. So it's them, but they are levitating a giant machine and walking down a corridor, blasting everybody out the Ooh, fucking nice. way. This is where we get Renegade by Styx. So Peter's using this opportunity to coordinate the entire team from his own team, from Sakar's team. He's calling all the shots and it is one, you'd have to have cuts, but I imagine it is one long set. And it's just they're going from point A to point B with this Mm -hmm. huge fucking machine. At one point, Peter just says, I'm a regular Captain America. Um, The music from this bleeds into the next scene as the action goes back and forth. Between this and what's happening on Halfworld. Mm. Lila's led a rebellion against the church. She, along with Drax and Quasar, have released Rocket and Groot and give them access to ample amounts of guns. A full-scale gunfight breaks out in a lab as the crew go toe-to-toe with the church. Drax and Quasar work together to fight off Raker, but the two still can't break the deadlock. Drax, seeing that his daughter is at risk of death, formulates a plan. He runs away! (laughs) Uh, which comically shocks a lot of people, but he has dragged Lila along with him and has begun pleading with her to make, help, help him make things right. Lila looks at Drax, knowing that she can help, and says, I've got a plan, but you do know what this means, don't you? And Drax replies, I have my daughter back. I know what I must do now. Uh, they return after a struggle with a similar looking device as to what they've got clamped, Moon Dragon's got clamped in. Drax is able to wrestle Raker into the machine where Kamari is being kept, and whilst Quasar is releasing Kamaria, Drax as... Not Drax, sorry. Lila has hooked Raker up to the machine. But because it's feeding the power of the machine back into itself, it causes a short. Um, Because Faith... Science mumbo-jumbo. Drax yells at his daughter and Quasar to get out before he enables a deadlock on the door. Rocket sees what's happening, quickly finishes off the fight, and tries to tear the door open. Groot can't even wrench the door off. It's it's locked in place, with Drax and Lila on the other side of the door. Drax starts saying his goodbyes, and the machine explodes. It completely decimates Drax, Lila, and Raker. There is nothing left inside this room. 
Rocket has looked on in disbelief, and Groot mutters, I am Groot, which would roughly translate to, oh God. Right, okay. <laughs> Get a Captain America moment. Nice. Uh, uh, yeah, so Kamaria breaks down in tears, and he's comforted by Quasar, and Rocket looks on, defeated. Mm-hmm. So Drax is dead. Oh, legit dead. <laughs> legit dead. No uh. more Drax. Um, so across the galaxy on Sacrosanct, Aisha has gotten word of what happened on Halfworld. Uh, and has been serious, had simultaneously been told the main faith generator has been stolen um, with footage of Star-Lord strutting and dancing through a, a corridor is nice. shown to her. She just mutters, Guardians, um, in an angry voice, obviously, right. not just like that. She says, it's time to move the schedule up. Judgment Day has been brought forward. She instructs Inquisitor Arakine to initiate the plan. And Arakine responds saying, are we ready for this? To which he replies, he is, nothing else matters. Aisha... That's when we play Nothing Else Matters by Metallica. I wish I was that oh, clever. I'm trying to guess now. Um, Aisha goes to confront Adam, having revealed that she knew that these Guardians were already in the city. Um, she grabs Adam by the hair and pulls him down to his knees and reveals Adam's true purpose, to kill the universe one god at a time. Uh, she says that his that Adam is merely the second stage of the cocoon process. Uh, he actually harbours an even greater power that can rival the Celestials. Gamora and, Lebia try, uh, Gamora and Nebula sorry, try to launch... Gamora la- and the country of Lebanon. <laughs> <laughs> the entire country of Neb- Lebanon launches an attack on Aisha. Um, but they find themselves incapacitated by faith energy as Aisha's royal chamber have begun channeling power into her. Aisha explains that the inhibitor in Adam's head, the gem... Um, it's more than just an override. It's where the pair was being stored. So painfully, Aisha starts to remove the inhibitor from uh, Adam's head. A smoke starts billowing out of his face. And a ma- the construct of a man starts to form in front of them. Kind of imagine like a digistruct or a really quick 3D printer. It's a f- right, okay. From the feet up. Uh-huh. The golden yellow energy has turned into a deep purple. Um, as where we play smoke on the water by Deep Purple. Oh, God. <laughs> no. But there's smoke. I know. Deep Purple. There's no water, though. Um, that would have been really good, actually. Fuck. Um, you, you know what's going on here. Adam goes limp and lifeless, like what happened when uh, Vision's stone got pulled right. out. Right, okay. Um, and there is a new figure standing in front of them. Basically, a purple version of Adam. It's the Magus. Right. Also, um... Alexander Skarsgård. Yep. I did. Uh, I went back and forth. I was like, "Do I make this Nikolai Costawaldo?" But mm. it's like, but then I have to pay two actors. And yeah. It's a whole. Could you thing. not get Bill Skarsgård in? <laughs> and just to oh no, using Deadpool <laughs> wouldn't work though. No. Wouldn't. Work. Also, I'm not sure the voice I'd want for the ultimate destructive god of death would be Hi Georgie. Yeah, true point. That's not what I want. Uh, she says to Magus, "I've she being uh, Aisha. Uh, I've seen you in my dreams for years. Your image calling out to me, sounding the death knell for anyone who stood against me. And now here you are, my ultimate creation, my true son." Magus smiles, puts his hand on Aisha, Aisha's shoulder. And just says, you've played your part, and now I have no need of you. He grabs her by the neck and finishes her off with a good neck snap. Okay. Aisha falls to the floor, and Magus is setting his sights on Gamora. And says, and now you want to stop me? You? You're not even from this timeline. Go on then, if it pleases you so much. I'll allow you to live out the final moments of your life in a desperate struggle. I tell you what, I'll even give you a head start. 
Go on, run. But you can't run forever. Judgment is coming whether you're ready or not. Gamora wants to fight back, but Nebula, seeing the the, co- the cause of the situation, begs her to back down, and she does. Gamora, Nebula, and Mantis gather up Adam's body in kind of a kind of a biblical scene, I guess. Careful, he's a hero. Mm. That kind of stuff. And they make their retreat. They bring Adam to the pod that uh, Nebula and Mantis arrived on Sacrosanct in, and they start to take off. Gamora tearfully apologises to Nebula for causing the end of the universe, uh, but Nebula says that my universe starts and ends with you. I just want my sister back. And the two finally hug it out. Right. Um, it's all good. There's emotions. As they do, Sacrosanct begins to quake, and as they're launching, the ground begins to implode below them. Um, as the Magus, as the center point, is drawing the entire system in, uh, the planet implodes to a collection of asteroids, and Magus begins stretching out his arms in incantation that forms a blast that, f- that tears time and space in front of him. And from inside, a giant yellow arm reaches to twat him. <laughs> um... It misses, but then the giant figure climbs out of the fault as the living tribunal, voiced by James Earl Jones. <sighs> Has he got the little purple curtains on? Yes, oh, it's it's comics accurate living tribunal. Oh my god, Mike. Issues a warning to Magus. This will not be allowed to continue. This madness ends now. Magus stares down the celestial and with one swift motion flies and pierces directly through the tribunal causing him to disintegrate into ether. He mutters, You fool, there is no one doing this damage. You have brought unknown chaos to this reality. Magus, holding the Living Tribunal's head as he dies, sneers in his face, I am chaos. The fault's growing in size and reality begins to tear and warp around it as the followers of the Magus are kind of sucked into this uh, thing and spat out as monsters. Uh, Inquisitor Arakine has has thought about turning coat. This is not the end of the world he was promised. But Magus, I know... <laughs> My apocalypse has went in a slightly different version. Yes. It was pink, not purple. We didn't agree to this. <laughs> uh, but Magus personally forces a transformation upon him, turning him to just some kind of... I don't know. Monster. Parademons? Cool, okay. Doesn't matter. They're just yep. fodder for the cool fight coming up. Um, Mantis springs to life as everyone's looking at the carnage unfolding... And shouts, he's still in here. Gamora and Nebula have kind of summarised that they can't stop the end of reality alone. Um, so they start praying to Adam Warlock to bring him back to life. And they just about manage it. Right. Um, Adam looks at what his alternate version of himself is doing. And, and says, I'm so sorry. I know that I was the cause of this. I don't even know if I can make this right. But I'm going to try. But they know they can't do it alone. Gamora finally accepts that she has to call the Guardians and puts out a call asking for her friends to forgive her and guard the galaxy. Yeah, it's Agent Coulson, phone everyone protocol. I like it. Um, This is where we get uh, hanging on the telephone again. Okay, reprise. But the Blondie version. So we cut to Rocket receiving this broadcast from Gamora and he's set to course for Sacrosanct and on arrival they jump in and start battling the church on the asteroids that remain of the Sovereign system. Right. Uh, meanwhile, the Ravagers, so the Guardians 3000 and Peter Quill and all that, are still actually struggling to get the Faith Generator on board the M-ship. You can have a pivot moment <laughs> if you want. Um, 
Star-Lord is guiding them in with it and a call comes through and Peter stares in awe at the visage of Gamora asking for him and him alone to help him. Um, he sheds a tear before coordinating with his team to head to Sacrosanct. He whispers, I'm coming, Gamora, as they arrive and see the carnage before them. Nova assesses the situation and says to Star-Lord, they're going to need to hit this with everything they've got or we've got a universe-ending cataclysm on our hands. Star-Lord says, Stakar, call for backup. Everyone get down there and help as best you can. Nova, you're with me. This is where we get the greatest action scene of any Guardians movie. And it starts with these opening chords. I know copyright, Darren, but I had to play this. As the opening chords of Kickstart My Heart, which you've heard a little bit of there, play the loading bay hatch of the M-ship, so the Ravager's ship, opens with Star-Lord standing there, readying every fucking gun he's got. His costume resembles a classic comic book look, because I have to crowbar that in there. He's got the chess cannon from Guardians of the Galaxy 1. He's got the aero rig from Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Nova flies up to the side of the bay, waiting for the signal. Star-Lord backs up, takes a long-running jump off the, ba- the end of the bay, and blasts towards the fight. So, like I said, the, the greatest fucking action scene in any Guardians movie... Think the shot from the Avengers where it goes between all the team-ups. Yeah. It's, except it's quicker, and it's all four minutes of Kickstart My Heart. Um, so you get all the team-ups you'd want. You get the all-female uh, Gamora, Nebula, Quasar, Kamaria team-up going on. You get Star-Lord and Nova two-teaming everything as kind of like a Cap and Iron Man situation. Yeah. Uh, you get Thor and Adam one-bombing a temple ship because you have to have yes. that in there. Um Halfway through, you get Stakar's team, so all the Ravagers slash the Guardians 3000, they turn up. You get Rocket and Starhawk going all guns out. Groot grows to monster Groot size, so you're going to have him, like, beating ships out of the sky with his bare hands. Nice. Cosmo turns up, and he's going all on mental assault. It's it, the fucking tits, Darren. Okay. Uh, everyone from all three of the teams gets a moment to shine, and we get a couple of group shots, and it ends on one of Star-Lord leading his fucking army into war um, as the song ends Star-Lord finally comes face to face with Gamora and he finally gets a chance to say how he feels but before he can say I love you she puts her finger on his lips and says as I've been told we had an unspoken thing yeah, that's nice <laughs> Peter smiles and the two finally share a kiss why not nice. uh, Gamora says that she's still got a lot of fig- to figure out so don't get too attached uh, but Star-Lord is going to take this little victory for all it's worth. Nova flies in and breaks up the happy reunion um, because space and time is beginning to warp around them, not unlike in Doctor Strange. Peter stares directly into the fault as Majesty's energy has reached critical mass. Adam sort of lands beside them and gets everyone up to speed with the situation. But Peter just responds, yeah, 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 evil purple shit needs wiping up. I've been here before. Are you on our side this time or do I need to bring a muzzle with me? Uh, Adam assures everyone that he's on the side of good this time. Everything that made him bad is in there. 
Um, Nova says that they need to hit this everything they've got, and Thor offers up help, but Star-Lord says, no, if we don't come back in two minutes, I want you to blast the generator in our ship with everything you've got and aim it right at us. I don't care if it kills us. If we can't stop him, we'll close that gap up by any means necessary. Um, that wins Thor's respect, and he finally says, yes, Captain. And he stations himself by the generator, taking him out of the fight. Adam, Star-Lord, and Nova flying to the fault for the final fucking battle. Here we go. Inside the fault, Magus's power is bending. Like, he can bend reality now. He can change things. He can remove people. It's getting fucking trippy. Right. The three heroes begin a heated fist-to-fist offence with the Magus. Adam tries and fails to even get one hit on his evil self. Nova, even at full power, can't put a dent in him. Magus is in control of the laws of the universe and he can dodge attach, attacks by displacing himself in reality. He's zipping around like it's fucking Dragon Ball Z. Right. It's amazing. He says that the combined powers of the world mind and his former self can't stop him. He's reached full godhood. One blaster shot from Star-Lord is frozen in the air Kylo Ren style. Nice. Uh, and Magus gloats to him and said, and you think you have a chance of beating me? A mortal may as well be an insect in the eyes of a god, and you're going to feel the full force of the boot. Uh, Star-Lord, now a confident leader, had said, You know, my father used to say he was a god, and my mother believed him, but he must have been lying because he isn't around anymore. So now I'm going to make sure your ugly ass ends up exactly like him. Uh, so the three begin to actually put dents in Magus because Star-Lord is calling the fucking shots. Right. Um, the two minutes runs out. Thor says, it's time. Um, and he goes to power the machine with Stormbreaker, but has a moment to himself. Uh, but he gets a hand on the shoulder from Sylvester Stallone. He said, you heard the captain's orders. The team around him kind of nod in agreement. Gamora as well sort of turns away, but does nod. Rocket says, Quill, you mad son of a bitch. You better know what you're doing. Thor channels the energy of the Bifrost into the generator and it fires a beam into the fault. It doesn't hit its intended target, as people think, because it hits Adam and that brings him back up to full power. Mm. He looks at Nova, he looks at Star-Lord and like in Guardians of the Galaxy 1, they join hands. All three of them have got the fucking power of the Universal Church of Truth on site. Cool. Magus damns them for stealing his birthright and the three of them start whiffling him around like a fucking shuttlecock. It is madness. Um, Magus begins to falter and Star-Lord demasks, grabs Magus by the scuff of the neck and as Magus is kind of breathing his last saying, this is impossible, I could never be bested by mortals, Star-Lord says, I never said I was mortal. This is when his latent celestial DNA Mm -hmm. from Ego starts to reactivate. His eyes glow bright blue and he slowly lets go of the Magus with his arm outstretched and blue energy starts shooting out of his hand Mm -hmm. hitting Magus and starts tearing him apart piece by piece he's returning back to just energy in the universe Um, he returns him to a ball of essence and shoots him back at Adam Warlock which replaces his inhibitor with a green gem nice um, there's a moment of calm and Star-Lord says, now I'm trusting you to keep him in there this time, all right? Don't go pop in that head court like a champagne bottle next time you lose a poker or something. Um, but that hasn't stopped the imbalance of the reality tear. It's still going to blow up. It's absolutely imminent that the end of the universe is here and as the tear begins to expand, 
time freezes. Mm-hmm. The three of them look around and all the ships and everybody is frozen in place. A glowing figure bathed in white light is has joined them in the void. Peter turns round and asks who he is, and the figure replies, Come on, Peter, you know who I am. Everyone's confused, but the figure starts to take human form so that people can comprehend who he is. This is the one above all. It's basically God. <laughs> right. It's from the comics. Um, because no one person can see him as different things, he appears as different people. Right. So this is where you cram all your cameos. So... If we've got enough footage of Stan Lee saying something cool, we put him here. But this is where we'd start a new tradition of mine, the Kevin Feige cameo. I knew that would be the backup <laughs> <laughs> Um The producer above all. Yeah, like. the producer above all. Um, so the one above all announces that he's got concerns that the universe is going to die if they don't address the imbalance of a dead celestial. Uh, the universe is lacking a central figure for the, and the laws of reality are going to bend until they break. He says that he can't intervene unless absolutely necessary, um, but this is the one occasion where he must. The absence of a celestial requires the creation of another. In other words, the torch must be passed. Adam offers to take the place, uh, saying that it will be his repentance for creating the Magus. But the one above all says, you won't be able to, you lack any form of celestial life. Mm. This is where Star-Lord comes to a slow realisation it has to be him. Mm-hmm. So with regretfully and with tears shed, Peter Quill gives up his life. He starts to turn into the celestial energy that he was channeling when he was bottling up Magus mm-hmm. um, and his human form begins to tear down. As he does, he sees a vision of his mother, not unlike the one from part one. Yep. And she says, take my hand, Peter. And he does. On the other side, a voice quite familiar calls out, Peter... It's Gamora from 2018 uh, also offering her hand. Yeah. With the other hand, Star-Lord takes it and says to the both his mother and his lost love, I've missed you so much as he fades into nothingness. Oh. The rift is closed and time restarts. Right. The church has disappeared. Every monster, every follower seemingly gone in an instant um, and Nova and Adam stare as Peter's helmet and blasters float in still space. The teams, one by one, start to notice that it's worked, but Peter is gone. And Rocket and Gamora are brought to tears. Tears? Tears. 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 Cool. We fade to a funeral uh, as Peter and Drax are remembered by those who fought alongside them. Gamora selects a tape from Cole's collection to commemorate him. Um, and this is where we get Rocket Man by Elton John. The team share moments of silence for the loss of their family. In place of a burial, a statue of Peter Quill and Drax is erected on nowhere with an inscription that reads, Peter Jason Quill, Star-Lord, Drax the Destroyer, Guardians of the Galaxy. After the funeral, Gamora and Rocket reflect on the concept of family, saying that they have now lost and keep losing more and more people they care about. Above, the Ravagers are holding the Ravager funeral, much like they did for Yondu. So you've got fireworks going off. Mm. So you've got the celebration above and the misery below. Um, Gamora says she's going to give it all up. She has to find something else to live for now. But she confesses that every avenue is exhausted. Rocket says, 
Quill must have known what he was going to do. Whether or not he thought it was for the good of the universe, I don't know. But it was for the good of his universe. And we all know that you were the centre of that. This is Rocket's way of asking her to help him keep Peter's family together and reform the Guardians proper. Mm -hmm. Gamora does agree. Rocket says, glad to have you back as the two watch the firework display above. We cut ahead a couple of days uh, where we get the final song of the film, um, which is Listen to the Music by the Doobie Brothers. During this song playing, we see the new Guardians of the Galaxy making the final preparations on their new, bigger and better M-ship, christened as The Quill. Right. Um, they, we see the new team of Guardians. Uh, so you've got Mantis and Bug. They're working together on the comms unit. Mm-hmm. You've got Moondragon and Quasar, who are seen practice dueling, but it does end with the two sharing an awkward kiss because they are still very young. Stop it. Um, we see Adam and Groot uh, taking calm meditation in one room with Groot stuck, like, growing his branches out. So he's, we're going to get a bigger and better Groot yep. for Guardians 4. Uh, and Gamora sporting a brand new red jacket, her old sword, and one of Star-Lord's blasters. Yep. Enters the cockpit, put, uh, cockpit and gives a fist bump to Rocket Raccoon and stands in front of the window looking ahead. Rocket says, well, what do we do next? Something good? Something bad? She replies, we'll follow his lead. Behind her ear, a small module is there. She pushes the button and a modified version of Star-Lord's mask covers her face. Um, We cut outside the ship and the quill blasts off as we fade out and let the credits roll. Okay. Uh, There is a second song for the credits. It is No Matter What by Badfinger. And that's the end of the film. Mid-credit scene, we return to Half-World where an empty and desolate lab sits in silence. Creatures like bugs are running over the console. This place is one that we did not see earlier on in the movie. It's covered in cobwebs. Um, A small flickering module the size of a little LED screen solidifies its view and a console springs to life. The bugs scatter as noise begins to fill. An alarm sounds and a pod springs open and a figure slumps out. A purple and blue figure, it's Wyndham, now reborn as the High Evolutionary. Mm-hmm. He stands and examines his new body, this mechanical, I guess it's biomechanical, yeah. whatever. Uh, he smirks. He pulls down a lever, which reactivates a futuristic spinning circular machine. He says, now let's try this one last time. The machine spin, spins violently and bright uh, momentarily a bright purple light zaps Wyndham and he disappears into smoke. The camera pans across the monitor, which reads, dimensional desync commencing and a status bar blinks and says, confirmed, coordinate minus one microsecond. Right. So that's setting up for counter-earth. Right. That's cool. Okay. So, rest of the credits, yada, yada, yada. Everyone's ready for the final one. The Guardians will return. post credit scene. Cosmo, Nova, and Thor have assembled on Nowhere in the wake of the death of Star-Lord. They're concerned that Majesty's tampering with reality will have a ripple effect, and the three have resolved to put together their own team to put down anyone who tries to do this again. Thor lectures... Uh, I've been pouring over some futuristic electronic mail uh, from a few people who've insisted on helping us. There is a robot man from Galador. That's pretty cool. Uh, We've got a response from this Strontian bodyguard. Uh, Strontians are practically bulletproof. This one I like. Nova cuts Thor off and just says, I called him. 
Cosmo looks at Nova with anger and says, tell me this isn't a joke. Nova reiterates that he's deadly serious. He says, if this team is going to work, I need the absolute most powerful people on my side. Thor is continuing to pull up emails on the, on the console right. behind them um, until a long shadow is cast over the three and silence falls. Two metallic feet start walking towards them. Cosmo says, of any being that has visited this place, it is your arrival that concerns me most, Herald. The Silver Surfer, played by Keanu Reeves because I have to do it, plants his board in the ground and walks over with fear in his eyes. He says, you know why I'm here. He's awake and he hungers once more. You need my help. That's how you fucking do it, Darren. Galactus is coming. Galactus is coming. Phone everyone. Ah, I got it out. The song we'd use for the trailers is Kick Out The Jams by MC5. Um, I just want to get that out there. Because uh, I wanted to use it and I didn't get a chance. My fucking throat hurts. Oh my Drink, God. Drink. Oh. Okay. What Ooh. did you think, Darren? That was very, 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 very good. There's no competition again. It's two weeks in a row. Um, no, that was really, really good. Well thought out. I think the, some choices, you didn't go with obvious. No, I, tr- I tried I to veer away from obvious. Very nice. But I think that's what Guardians have done. They haven't picked obvious things. I mean, one or two, they've won those. But most of them have been like... It kind of felt Smart like, picks. to me, Guardians 1 was soundtrack first, plot second. Yeah. Guardians 2 was plot first, soundtrack second. Yes. That's what I've followed this time. Gotcha. There was so many songs I cut that were in there. I had songs by Betty Davis in there. I had Carry On My Way With Sun in there at mm. one point, but it felt it felt too obvious, Darren. It's on the nose. Yeah, there was Neil Young was in there. I removed that one today. Uh, at one point, I was going to have a really shitty like '90s track in there as like a comedy fight scene right, song. Okay. So it was either going to be "Blue" by Awful Sixty Five or "Groove Is in the Heart" by Daylight. Oh, everyone likes that. Song. Everyone could. It would, but it would have been forced, and I didn't want to force anything. No, okay. I, I knew that we couldn't do anything. You have break stuff by the Biscuit for the hell of it. Oh, oh, that would have been beautiful. <laughs> Everybody sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to... What about the who-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-
pushed anything home. I think you're right. I think that could have just been Drax. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you've already got Drax going. Yeah. I don't think there's anything that adding Lila to that situation kind of elevates. No, it was, a lot of it was I was trying to put them up against, because Ego was like a power that they would have struggled against, but yes. they found a way around where this was, no, 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 we need to go nuclear. Yes, right. Um, Gamora, obviously, with her coming back, there was, there's still a lot she can do. Mm-hmm. And there is one comics reality where she is the new Star-Lord. Right. And I found that so interesting that mm-hmm. I was like, I have to explore that. No, that's good. So I've kept Gamora alive and then Groot, obviously, is with um, Rocket and he's basically the poster boy. I wasn't prepared to kill off Groot because right. because we've kind of already cheated death in Guardians 1. It yeah. would have felt insincere. Yeah, to do it again. So well, twice because he also got dusted. So. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. there's plenty of stuff you can build off the back of that. There's the thread with the high evolutionary setting up Counter-Earth. Yeah. And you can go and do some time fuckery. That would be fun. Yeah, they've introduced it there. So, you know, it's always open. I think we're going to get it again with Doctor Strange. I suspect so, yeah. So, fair enough. Then I've left open the a, a modified version of the team from the comic book. So if you want to do a fourth film, you can. I've left all of the Guardians 3000 slash the Ravagers alive. So if yeah. you want to do a spin-off with them, you can. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, at the end, I've set up the Annihilators. I've set up Galactus. Yeah. We've got yeah. the Surfer here. Yeah. And he's all good. So her metallic feed, and I was like, you wouldn't put Doom in space this early, but no, all right. No, no. Um, cool. I made one note, yep. which was, is Half-World the way it is because the Faith Generator like stripped the one half of the planet of all of its energy? Yeah, that's actually... Because you could have it like it was just plant-based energy it was taking. Yeah. And then they modified it later on to be human energy. Yeah. So that could explain why half the planet's been, like, you know, yeah. desolated, and the other half is fine. Yeah. That gives it, a, like, a nice, easy way of doing that that's literally about the only one was like he slides alone in this and then he was so I had to delete the <laughs> so no that was amazing Michael. I well, tried to get every mortal thing tied up that I could and I knew I, when I knew I had to kill Peter and I was I found not found but like when I was listening to Rocket Man I was like it's it's too perfect yeah he's gotta go he's, he's gotta he's go he's done his stuff he's had his time it's a three movie usual deal for most people although Thor 4 is coming so yeah. maybe not but no yeah, that's very good. And now again, <sighs> it's, it's your Momo. It's Michael Owen's magnum opus. Hey. Um, but now you've got, you get the problem I had with the Pokemon game last time around of like, damn, that's good. Yeah. Now it doesn't happen though. So, <laughs> yeah. So now what? But no. Well, I think it will be interesting to see how much of that makes it into Guardians 3. Well, yeah, you could, I was like, well, they've said very much they're going to explore Rocket's backstory. Mm. And I think until you went to Halfway, I was like, well, is he going to, are we just ignoring that? Are we just going to, same thing with Sylvester Sloan coming in so late, it's like, you're going to ignore that. But no, you've hit everything they said they were going to do. You've built on everything beforehand. You've used that warlock in a very meaningful way. Um, I was very much struggling with with whether or not I was going to do traditional Adam Warlock and Magus, where it's like Magus is from the future and comes back to speed no. his own birth up. I was like, no, it's the fucking Sovereign. We can just have it like... And then it dawned on me, oh, fuck, the cocoon can be a two-stage process. Yes. And the man known as Adam Warlock isn't the final fucking being. And then like, yeah, that's 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 what it's going to be. Yep, no complaints. Oh, God, Darren. I, I brought the comfy... I swapped this chair for the comfy chair in anticipation <laughs> of having to sit here for a while, but no. I'm sorry. That was very... very oh, that was very good. Oh. Um, oh, it's out there. I will put a Spotify link to the soundtrack with my modified logo up um, with this episode. It'll be a link in the episode notes, so go and listen to that. 
I can finally stop listening to these songs. Although, I will continue to listen to Kickstart My Heart and imagine this fucking full pal action scene. I'm, su- I'm genuinely surprised I haven't used it yet. Um, but no, that's perfect, Michael. You can plug away so you can get a drink. Oh, God, you can go and find me on Twitter and Instagram at ThatMikeGoin. You can go and follow Darren on Twitter and Instagram at ThatMikeGoin. You can go and leave comments. Wait, you can follow me on Twitter. Oh, God, sorry. No, it's, it's fine. You've done a lot. I got this. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, at the Guttridge, you can go and follow the website, fairentertainment.com, as you already said. Oh. There's also, I can find us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, etc. SoundCloud. SoundCloud, there's the other one. Um, write, comment, subscribe. Yeah. Um, I realised the other day, someone at work has started their fantasy football podcast. Yeah. They're four episodes in and said, Oh, we've already got four ratings on an Apple um, podcast. I was like, Oh, I've got to see how many we have. None. No. None. So, Who's that, surprised? That was going to be nice. Um, if you could do that. Uh, coming up, we have uh, Zombieland Double Tap. We've both seen it. We will be giving you that review very shortly. Uh, and then we are getting into the glut. We are very shortly getting Pokemon um, Sun Shield. It's a good job we didn't wait for that trailer to drop to review anything. Yeah. Because it was like... Remember you, Gen 1? <laughs> did you like Mega Charizard? Well, we've got another version that's kind of the same, but he's big now. Yeah. And... Yeah, that was a... Much, fat I'm, Pikachu's I'm, back. I'm happy Fat Pikachu's back, but if it means I have to deal with the body horror of Lung Me Out, I don't think it was <laughs> worth it. Um, yeah, that's... They're all back. Gen 1's cool, isn't it? My gosh. Um, and, yeah, I'm glad we didn't wait for that, but we still don't know anything. Nope. We are three weeks there thereabouts away, and we don't have mid or final evolutions for the starters. Apparently, there's, like... Like a good percentage of the early Pokemon because they gave a lot of 90 minute previews to a lot of places. Yeah, I've read up on all of them. They said there's a lot of Pokemon we can't discuss because they haven't shown you yet. Oh, shit. we don't know the early bug. We don't, we, I guess, Wooloo is the stand in for your early rodent. Yeah, we don't know any I'm of happy these about that. Ah, I like Wooloo. Same, I might try and now avoid it as best we can unless something major drops that we can't ignore. Yeah. Until we get there, so we can have a bit of an untainted experience playing Pokemon. That but might be fun. Until the end, and they have to look up all the Pokemon I've missed. Yeah. Them all up. <laughs> Luigi's Mansion style again. Luigi's Mansion 3 yeah. is here in like two weeks, if that. Something like that. Oh boy, there's a lot going on. It's a you fun can time. Find, we will have reviews for all of that coming before the end of the year. Yes, well, thank you very much for listening to this incredibly long version of Pitch Intense. Thank you for letting me get this fucking idea off my chest that I can now be disappointed when it doesn't actually happen. Bye, everybody! Bye!